what would it take for you guys to be convinced to join a devil cult? Not a whole heck of a lot. <laughs> no, someone else's, Megan, not just yours. Sorry. <laughs> I thought you were offering to join my my devil cult. <laughs> I would I would follow your cult in a heartbeat. I'm sure that there'd be like little finger foods and shit at the meetings. I'm like, I'm into it. Well, I mean, yes. we've introduced you to what girl dinner is. So obviously the deal is. I don't even want to but... fucking talk about it. How you guys come up with the number of the beast with your girl math is going to be just fucking hilarious. Yeah, you're welcome. Kyle, what would it take to convince you to join a, a devil worshiping cult? Uh, I'm more of a leader than a follower. So <laughs> I would probably start my own, if anything. We're going to be rival devil people 100% at one point in our lives. And one of these, one of our lifetimes, we will be devil enemies. And you will rue the day, Megan. Okay, we all know I'm going to win. So I don't, <laughs> I don't even know why this is a contest. <laughs> hey, man, whoever has the better finger foods is who's going to get my vote. That's all going to take mm, you. Yeah, that's actually what I was thinking. Like, that's how you get people to join, right? You know, come for the food, stay for the loss of a soul. Coffees, cookies, exchange of a soul, you know? <laughs> what about you, Adam? Are you joining or starting? Oh, no. Uh, I will be joining, but I will be infiltrating. It mm. will not be like, I am not signing up. I'm not signing my soul over just simply because I am ginger and I have nothing to barter with. <laughs> they won't let you in? No, uh, I'm going <laughs> to dye my hair and show up and be like, Hi, my name's Dan. Actually, shave my head then. They'll believe that. Dude, I do, I'm the opposite because I dye my hair red. So they're going to think that I don't have a soul, but I'm going to be like, mm, this is yeah, fine. But have you ever seen a movie? Every woman who runs a demonic cult has red hair. Well, she's reaping souls because she doesn't have one herself. Girl math. Welcome to the It's a Mimic podcast, where you never know what you're going to get. Welcome to another It's a Mimic episode, where we continue our conversation on monsters in Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition. I'm Kyle, and with me today are Adam and Megan, and this episode is called Fiendish Overlords, Primeval Evil for Your Medieval Upheaval. In this episode of the It's a Mimic podcast, this panel of Dungeon Masters is going to don our red robes light our black candles, and crack open some of the nigh-forgotten texts called Minsk and Boo's Journal of Villainy, which contains some of the most disturbing bad guys ever published by Wizards of the Coast for 5th edition. Before we all start talking in tongues and crawling across the ceiling as a result of the research of this episode, I want to bring up one of the things that 5th edition seems to do properly. It doesn't give the gods stat blocks. At best, we get aspects of avatars of the gods, uh, and usually they're attractive. I'm just going to say that. But Asmodeus isn't a god anymore. He's just an archdevil. So considering Orcus, Tiamat, and Demogorgon, uh, they all get stat blocks. Do you think that Asmodeus should too? Or is he better left as an unknowable manipulator and supreme of all evil? Ah, let's roll. Okay. Gotta find dice. What is this, your first day? I like how we were both about to say that. What kind of fucking dad joke is this turned into? <laughs> <laughs> All right, 16. I got a 16 too. Roll off, man. Okay. Eight. 12. What do you got, Kyle? Hold on. Hold on. I'm coming. I actually have no idea where my dice are at the moment, so I'm going to have to do this online. Oh. 
it is really anticlimactic that way but you know my my favorite one was the like the only one that dave ever recorded online you couldn't find dice so he was rolling like lozenges and just yes. calling out random numbers <laughs> i'm not gonna lie i have done that before with like dropping a pen you're like you're yeah. terrible the group of you all of you are terrible <laughs> uh i got a nine all right so um i'm going first and then megan who tied to the 16 and then kyle so uh, was right. a question. Oh, uh, no, uh, uh, Asmodeus should absolutely never have a stat block. I like him way better as the as Sauron, right? Yeah. I want the unknowable, huge evil that can see all and knows all and wants to get into the souls of men and and the deceiver and the unknowable evil. And it, I, like it's it's way scarier when when there's nothing to fight. Yeah, I agree. That feels feel, like sorry. That feels like a bad example because he gets killed twice. But does he? <laughs> uh, yeah, but I mean, Vecna gets killed a whole bunch, and I think Demogorgon gets killed once. Tiamat's died, but it's always like the aspect of right, or they get yeah. knocked down a power level by another god. Yeah, right? yeah, or like like yeah, knocked down a peg or two, or like injured in some way that they have to take time to come back. Sure, that's fine. But like, I like the idea that there is something or someone that is legitimately unbeatable and like the longevity of that the fear that it brings and the fact that if you run into them and you know that you can't beat it and if you try you will die and then like that could add to your storyline cool but i like the fact that there is like one that is no this is will always forever be stagnant and non-killable yeah I, you know, I, I think there is something to be said about the unknowable, unkillable thing. But I also think of, you know, devils, if they die in the material plane, they just go back to hell. So mm -hmm. he, he doesn't really die. That's why we always fight aspects or avatars, right? Like, because yeah. we kill this, but not the actual fucking god, right? Uh, Megan has run into that in our campaign a million times, where it's like these lesser gods show up and they're like real gods. But the real big, like, like daddy gods and, and like the big mommy gods, they're sending in aspects. And yeah, there is the one goddess of death, the original, the big one that is trying to get into the realm and is way fucking scarier than any other god walking the the earth, right? So yeah, mm. to the point where our group will not fuck with that shit. <laughs> <laughs> we'll fuck group, with everything else. <laughs> that group fucks with everything. <laughs> Literally everything. <laughs> Yeah, so I mean that, but that's what I'm saying, right? Like, it, an aspect is good, even if you have it for Asmodeus. Because I always think of like when a god goes from whatever their normal plane is to the material plane, they aren't bringing their full strength, right? No. You would never be able to kill Asmodeus in hell, right? No way, no how. Hometown advantage, not going to happen. Yeah, yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> if all of the abyss can't do it, fucking your party of four goofuses is definitely not going to be able to do it right hey hey we have six goofuses okay pardon me <laughs> goofus that's a new word for me today <laughs> <laughs> i'm glad i could share it with you megan yeah thank you i appreciate it coined uh if you come join my cult i can teach you many more new words that's not what's going to get me to join your cult sorry uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, worth a shot yeah you can keep trying anyway now before we get any deeper into this let's cut to a quick ad break. We've previously covered quite a bit in our discussion on monsters in 5th edition. For all of those episodes and more, you can follow or subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and dozens of other podcast apps. 
And if you'd like to support us, you can donate through the website, check out our store, or join the Patreon and get access to other episodes and series. If you'd like to pay for some ad space on It's a Mimic, or just send a shout out to a friend, please reach out to us through our email and website that are listed in the show notes below. Before we get any further in the episode, I just want to say thank you to Grompalicious for becoming our most recent Patreon subscriber. And before I reveal what we're going to be doing on the Patreon this week, I just want to say I hope everyone has a happy and safe holiday season. Remember, the holidays are a time for relaxation and happiness and togetherness, not a chance for risk-taking or making silly or stupid or ignorant decisions. Let's enter the new year with as much happiness and health as we possibly can. This week on the It's a Mimic Patreon, Tyler and I sit down to continue our conversation on open warfare in D&D, this time focusing on the more fantastical elements of the medieval fantasy warfare that we are discussing. Last time it was about the warfare, this time it's about the magic. But for now, let's get back to our episode. Uh, all right, so today we are covering Mephistopheles, Balzabal, and Pazuzu. So are we going to roll to see who's going to go first? Absolutely. Sure. 12. 6. 8. Amazing. All right, well, I'm going to start us off with pizzazz. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Pazuzu. Um, All right, so this is a very powerful demon lord. Uh, They have a bunch of different names. Uh, So they are also known as the Dark Angel of the Four Winds, as well as the Prince of the Lower Aerial Kingdoms. And this is because he kind of rules over the flying evil creatures within the abyss. And, like, the thing to know is that he kind of controls all of the flying creatures within the Abyss, all levels, even though he primarily resides within level one. Uh, Well, the first layer, I guess, is the easiest way to say that. Which is actually respectfully called Pazunia, which I thought sounded like a flower. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. What he names his daughter. Right? I I was like, I kind of want to name, I kind of want to make a demon creature named Pazunia. Um, but it's also known as a pl- the place of 1,001 closets, which means more than one thing in my mind. But it's also called this because the land is pitted to be full of mounds and holes that actually contain portals that can launch you into any level of the abyss, but also to different planes of existence. So imagine this is kind of like a giant ground covered in craters and mounds and holes, and then there's just little portals popping up everywhere. And uh, Pazuzu is the only one that actually knows where each one of these portals goes. So no one really knows where each one goes. You just kind of fly into one and you can pop out somewhere. Whereas like, he's just like, nope, I know where all of these holes go. He'd be great in a blood orgy. (laughs) (laughs) Well then. You're welcome. Oh my God. You can edit that out if you want to. I just thought I'd throw that in there for fun. I Uh, (laughs) will not. I, I, I will not. So he also good to know about him is that he doesn't actually stay within his realm. He does tend to float around and fly around as like he doesn't actually have a want or need to rule and own the abyss like some of the other demon lords or, you know, other nine hell nonsenses. He just really likes the idea of corruption. So anything that he comes across, he likes to corrupt. He likes to turn good things evil. He likes to take your good paladin and turn them into an asshole like he just... That's his thing. It's what gets him off is he just wants to make people evil. He invented the collection plate. Right. <laughs> just just going around. <laughs> yeah, so since he's seeking out corruption, as I mentioned, he doesn't he does tend to visit the mortal realm on occasion. So usually in disguise, specifically as someone who grants protection against like pestilence. 
as well as granting like fertility or blessings on in births. Uh, this, of course, leads to those who receive his blessings to become corrupt, as well as any of uh, like, so they actually like, start doing like vile acts and stuff like that. I'm thinking they just get like mentally diseased. Um, and any child born with his blessing is destined for evil. I like how in the book, it mentions the iron flask a lot for him. Anyone who doesn't know what the iron flask is, basically you can catch demons with it and it houses demons. Yeah. And I just think it's hilarious that this giant demon lord could get stuck in this flask if just put in the wrong position. <laughs> but uh, anyway, to the bad hole you go. Very much so. <laughs> but it actually uses it as a plot hook in the in the book. That it's a it's an interesting plot hook that it's he's in this flask. And yeah, I think you could use this plot hook for any of them as you just put him in this flask and then any other like form of evil will want that flask from you because they know what's inside of it or what have you, right? In I like how earlier editions, I want to say 3.5 had the iron flask could just hold any creature, no matter the size, and would mm-hmm. hold them in suspended animation. So it wasn't tied to um, Pazuzu necessarily. And Dave actually used this in a dragon campaign um, where there were two flasks. There was the iron one and I think the bronze one. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had to ride a bunch of dragons, um, and but we didn't know which flask to open. So we ended up opening the wrong one. We opened up the bronze one first because we figured Bronze Age came before Iron Age. And uh, that's when we released the Tarasque upon the world. And then we needed the five ancient dragons to ride to then kill the Tarasque. And that was like one of the big final set pieces of that campaign. So like, I love the Iron Flask. It's fun. The idea that you open it up and Pazuzu comes out, that's that's just a bad time for everybody. Bad time. And I think that they've said like the the Iron Flask at one point, I remember what edition it was, but there was an Iron Flask with a bronze top. I think it's specifically what's used for demons. But Wasn't this a plot point in Little Nicky? I would be surprised. Adam Sandler, can you uh, yeah. <laughs> confirm? Get in the flask. Uh, get in the flask. Yeah, I'm uh, pretty sure that was a plot point in Little Nicky. Definitely take it from right. D&D. Yeah, interesting. That's hilarious. Uh, but that being said, let's jump into a couple of his uh, stats. So he is a large fiend and is considered chaotic evil. Comes in at a whopping CR of 25 and the stats don't lie about that. So he has a natural AC of 21 with an over 400 hit point average, a speed of 30, and a fly speed of 90. So bitch is fast. Their lowest stat is wisdom at a plus four, and their highest is dex at plus 10. Everything else kind of falls in between that. But I feel like with the dex, that's just proof that he is very nimble and very quick. Uh, His saving throws are in dex, um, con, and charisma. He has a plus 12 to perception and a plus 16 to his persuasion. So he can see you and he can persuade you to join his cult should he want to. He's resistant to acid, cold, and fire while he is immune to lightning, poison, bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing from non-magical items, but also immune to being charmed, exhausted, frightened, and poisoned, which I feel is pretty on par for being a demon. You also really won't be able to pull the wool over his eyes because he does have true sight of over 120 and a passive perception of 22. And he knows all languages and has telepathy up to 120 feet. Neat. Yeah, which I thought was really cool. So um, he is inherently a spellcaster using charisma as his spellcasting score, which is a plus eight, which is pretty cool. And his spells are very much around being hypnotic and deceptive. So he has things like charm person, telekinesis, uh, dominate person, and plane shift. And once per day, he can use wish, Mm. which I thought was pretty cool. That That comes into play later on as well when I start talking about some of the other effects of him being around. But he also has what's called the aura of servile avians which speaks to his power of flying creatures any 
evil creature with a natural flying speed with a CR below 20 must do a wisdom save 21 if they if they attempt to attack him. A failure just means uh, an auto fail on the attack, uh, but a successful means that he also becomes immune to the attack uh, in the future. So it's basically like, yes, the attack pops off, but he's now immune to it. Jesus. Yep. So along with his uh, three per day legendary resistances, he also has magic resistance, magical weapon. So all of his attacks count as magical. And he has spell disruption, which just means that when using dispel magic, any spell under level six auto ends. That would be annoying as shit for a party. Right? And can you imagine how many spell slots you're wasting trying to figure out what level it would pop off? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, for actions, he has multi-attack with a great sword. He also has talons. Uh, but another big one is that he has a breath attack. The breath attack is a poison acid that is basically a 100-foot-long line, five feet wide, uh, of acid. Uh, it's a DC 21 deck save or take 18 D6 acid damage and it's half on a save. But if you are killed with this attack, you disintegrate and melt. You are gone. That's a bad day right there. Instant it's actually death. it's actually a worse day because you skimmed over the great sword. The great sword give him haste. Yeah. As a bonus action, you can just get haste. And it's not even the spell, it just happens. Yeah. So, so he's it, gonna he's gonna get this breath weapon. He's gonna be able to recharge this a lot. Well, it's a bonus action to do. So basically, yeah, it's a it's a plus fourteen to hit, and then it's um it's only like it's only two d six plus six slashing damage, and then as a bonus action, he can activate sort of special feature, which grants him haste until the end of his next turn. So, but with that haste, you could pop that off multiple times. Yeah, you yeah. can yeah. chain that because his multi attack is just any two attacks, right? So he could do that, pop off the bonus action, and then the breath weapon, and get all the benefits of haste, and just chain that over and over and over again. So he's always doing that. Yeah, that's insane. Well, I don't think he, I don't think he can reuse the breath weapon on the same turn, even with haste, right? It has it to be recharges a, a on a five new... six. No, no, no. I'm yeah, saying, he... I'm saying, as long as he attacks, he can use a bonus action, like with the great sword. So the first attack of the multi attack is great sword. Then you pop off the bonus action, right, which will give you haste, and then you get the breath weapon as your second attack because yeah. it doesn't say you can't. No, and then you yeah. get um, all of the all of the additional shit including an extra action on each of its turns so because that's what haste does so if you can recharge that breath weapon again yeah yeah oh yeah, no that's not that's not what haste does you just get an extra weapon attack uh no it gains an additional action i'm looking at it right now for haste right as, as long haste. as you use as, as long as it's an attack but i mean the attack would be the breath weapon yeah so in in his listing it's not like his multi attack says Pazuzu can only make two attacks using melee or whatever mm-hmm. his is you can do two attacks and then yeah. in his attack actions breath weapons is included so i feel like that would work mm, uh well it says yeah that action can only be used to take an attack one weapon attack only for yeah haste. but there's funky rules about the, the it's the wording of it Kyle i'll, I'll yeah. look this up you may be right but there's a wording in it which is the difference between a Weapon attack and attack with a weapon. And yeah, fifth edition does have a difference between those two terms. Let me yeah. let me do a little research while Megan keeps talking. Yep, yeah, I will. Um, all right. So finally, he does have three legendary actions uh, where you can you can either disarm someone, use a lethal weep, lethal weep. Could you imagine? Just cry until someone dies. Phenomenal. Uh, l- lethal leap, which God, means I had a girlfriend like that years ago. Fuck. Hey, man. You know what? All of us ladies have been there. Okay. It's not our fault. <laughs> Anyways, lethal leap, which uh, means they attack and fly. Uh, they can attack and then fly away without taking an opportunity attack. 
And they can also disrupt, which is just using the dispel magic spell. But wait, there's more because he has layer actions, obviously, being a big, big bad as he is. He can open portals and summon 1d4 paratons or gargoyles. He can cast insect plague without needing to stay concentrating. He just summons insects. And he can uh, telepathically speak to all creatures within 120 feet and will offer what they most desire. Ooh. A target. So yeah, so this is where this is where we're coming mm. back full circle. So a target of this must succeed on a DC 21 charisma or forfeit one action to consider the offer. But here's what's neat. If they agree to the offer by choice, so like let's say they decide to fail the roll purposefully so that they can take the offer, they are then granted one wish spell. Mm. But as a fail safe, obviously Pazuzu will not be affected negatively by the results of the spell. It's written in there. You can't just wish Pazuzu to die. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. On top of that, he does have regional effects. There are winds that constantly blow that are sickly sweet smelling. This requires a DC 21 con save or you vomit and take some necrotic damage and are poisoned for one hour. As one does, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, also, any flying creature CR2 or below will become twisted within, within the day uh, if you've been within six miles of him. Uh, and any small flying creatures like birds and like other random flying insects will annoy the travelers because you are in his space. Right. Yeah. So like hold that. on before before we go any further, I looked it up. What I was thinking of was the difference between a melee weapon attack and uh, the attack with a melee weapon. A mm-hmm. melee weapon attack, specifically like unarmed strikes, is a melee weapon attack, but it is not an attack with a melee weapon, which yeah, is just okay. bullshit. That doesn't apply to this conversation. So I looked it up and I asked what is a weapon attack and a weapon attack is just attack from physical weapons so you're right kyle this breath weapon wouldn't chain like to to be part of the haste you just have to get another great sword or talent attacking yeah which isn't a bad idea no i mean still fuck because because if you do even if you just did a second great sword attack you could pop off your um haste again for the next round yeah Yeah. it literally just changes the order of it right it does you just do one long sword and then the breath weapon and then another long sword kind of thing yeah, Talon, and then pop it off again. Yeah. yeah. It is interesting, though, to to see the multi-attack just says Pazuzu makes two attacks, and then listed under that is Breath Weapon. Yeah, right? all, like, all three of them are listed under it. Yeah, which means, in theory, you could do this just twice, if you can recharge it on the five or six, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I think that that would read to me that way, because otherwise it would say make two attack, because, like, if you look at any other boss, like, Breakdown, it'll usually say makes two attacks with Claw or Bite. Yeah. Yeah, like yeah. it's very specific. Whereas this one doesn't really be one of that. It says it makes two attacks. I feel like it would be a little bit easier of a read if it said makes two attack actions. Everything on here, everything on here, with the exception of summoning one d four paradins, which is insane. But ev- everything on here looks to be powerful, but lands you in the CR twenty, CR twenty one. The CR twenty five is because you can do eighteen d six acid damage technically twice. In 100 foot lines. That's wild. And if they die from it, they get disintegrate and poof out of existence. Yes. Instant death. Yay. Love it. Yeah, that's Pazuzu. That's Paz. Well, let's let's get into some questions then. Uh, First, we're going to go over, do you guys have any storylines? So quests, one shots, campaigns, or a tier to run into them. Do we want to re-roll dice for this? Yeah. Yeah, let's re-roll it. Sure. Get a one. I got a nat 20. Oh, look at you. I got a nine. Yay. All right. So you start. Uh, first up, me. Uh, so I 
really got stuck on uh the thousand and one closets thing really like that and i immediately thought of like a monsters inc kind of campaign or quest where basically he is using those portals to go into children's closets at night and then whisper to them and offer them whatever they want be like I will give you a new baby brother. All you have to do is poison your neighbor first. Or like it starts off really innocuous and then the ass just get more and more extreme over time. Like uh, say, oh, tell your mom you saw your dad kissing another lady kind of thing. Just to like wreak havoc and like get the young, innocent children and start corrupting them right there. Mm. See, I was going to go with the children route as well, but I was going to go more for the fact that he um, curses them when they're at their birth by like granting boons to the parents or what have you. So I'm imagining playing the long game. He's got a series of towns and cities that like your playing group rocks up to. And like there's a generation that's just in prison or like there's just like evil running rampant for some reason. And it's just because at one point, this demon had gone to each of these towns, blessed a bunch of families, cured their famine, cured their pestilence, made them live a good life. But then the next generation that came through are all these cursed children built to become evil. And they become not necessarily the cult because they don't really know what they're doing, but it just becomes an area that's just a constant battle. So the cities and towns that are next door to each other are constantly fighting. And like, there's no way to gain control because all of these kids are now adults. And they're the ones ruling and like, this is where all your gang wars are now going to come from and all that kind of stuff. Right. Cause they're going to start like fighting each other for dominance over the other one. And then eventually it turns out that this, because of this demon, it's curse and it's your group's job to try and figure out how to break the curse on these people. Okay. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. I like that. And they're all fighting to, for the number one spot where yeah. like Pazuzu will come claim the greatest evil among them or something like that. Yeah. Oh, that's fun. I like that. That'd be really cool. What about you, Adam? I fucking love this. As I'm I like, I'm reading all the lore stuff again is th- that you were talking about. And I love the fact that he's got these like aliases as well. Like he could show up pretending to be an angel that goes by the name of Pazriel because that's yeah. literally one of his, his names, right? And the idea that he shows up and just starts giving up blessings to all the children, but he's playing the fucking long con on this. And and the these children, they grow up and they're, they're, they've got evil in their hearts, but that evil is based on temptation because he's just going to set up shop to bless kids and to give out really good advice to people. And every once in a while, you can come with him and he will give you the opportunity to get your heart's greatest desire. All you have to do is is whisper to him, I wish I had this object. And he's got just whatever nonsense um, uh, rules that he comes up with. Like it can be no bigger than like a bread box and it can't weigh more than 25 pounds or like whatever it is. But everybody has this one coveted item and everyone is absolutely just insane about this one item. No, you don't get to touch that. Nobody gets to see it. This is my thing. So your players rock up to a town full of jealous and suspicious adults because all this happened a generation ago and they've all got their items already and they walk up and they realize that there's a bunch of weird shit going on. There's a lot of murders in here because, you know, one person stumbles upon someone else's object or item and gets murdered. And so they figure out, oh, my God, there's this person corrupting them. And they go and they kill 
Pazuzu or they put him in the iron flask, then all of the items disappear and you get a riot. Yeah. And it's just bloodshed in the streets. I wonder if like the good end to that would be like you wish for the iron flask and then use the iron flask against him. So yes, like I think it inherently you can't wish to like, because it does say that it will not harm him. Your wish cannot harm him negatively. But like in my mind, you just, you, you ask for an item, how you're going to use that item is not necessarily, I feel like I would allow that to happen if my team thought of that. Or, or you wish for it and you walk out of the church that he's set up in and you walk out to like the dwarf cleric and you put the item in their hand. Like, here you go. Yeah. Give her. Do it. <laughs> Interesting. Amazing. Do you think he would actually give you the iron flask or would he give you some cursed item that looks exactly like the iron flask? It's the, so technically you get the wish spell is how that the mechanic works. Mm-hmm. So it's not him that grants you the boon. He gives no, you he the just, ability to just, make. He just pretends to grant you this yeah. wish. But it's you making the, the wish. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so, so to your point, Kyle, he doesn't have the power to say whether or not you get the iron flask or not. Because it's technically yeah. you making the wish. He's just pretending to be the one giving you the boon. I fucking love it. It's so, and like the whole town is just covered in gargoyles. Because yeah. literally once every 18 seconds, he can summon 1D fucking four of them. So he's just slowly filling this town full of gargoyles. Yeah. Like, this would be your Wicked Witch of the West with the flying monkeys. <laughs> absolutely oh yeah <laughs> oh my god it, it actually is the wizard of oz because he's technically the wizard granting wishes and boons <laughs> like <laughs> if you look you want- at the art too he's got that big ass pike that looks like what they were carrying what the minions were carrying he does look really creepy yeah he kind of like mm. i'm trying to where's the image here i'm trying to find it again it's uh like a gray-skinned humanoid like like a corrupted angel but like with a raven face and long white hair Oh and yeah, the the double bat wing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Very cool, and like clearly talons and not toes and stuff. Like he, he looks the art in this PDF is so much fun. I really do love it. Yeah, it's weird that, what like, like uh, non A art can do. You know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> He's got kind of that uh like plague doctor look. Mm-hmm. Well, because this thing is like releasing pestilence, right? That's his yeah. like big draw. Is that like yeah, I'll get rid of these bugs that I actually created. Well, we're gonna hit that team again. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, so moving on to social aspects. So we're going to go over uh, kind of like role play hints. Uh, so for me, like for sure, he would be hanging out above the party. If he's, well, I guess that would only works in his like natural form. Well, it's tough, right? Because he comes in so many different forms. So I guess how you're going to play him is going to differ wildly based on how he's presenting himself at any given point in time. Well, he also has the ability to astral project at will. Mm. So yeah. that's like, you could have him show up and talk to the party, right? But like, he's not actually there. And the tele- yeah. the telepathy thing and the telekinesis and all those pieces. Like, you're going to know he's there before you know it's him. Yeah, he can teleport in and yeah. out, right? Yeah. But like, if I was to like role play him as like, and actually like have to have, have a conversation with my group, he would be very soft-spoken and like, like it, it's almost like that weird, it's like a convincing calmness. Hey guys, I'm Pazuzu. Very much like kind <laughs> of, but more along the lines of like, no, like I, I am. Yeah, I am. I am him. What do you want from me? Like, well, it's, <laughs> it says in the text that he is literally the first and most ancient demon Lord. Yeah. Like he's got nothing to prove. No, he doesn't give a shit about you. And he has nothing to prove to you. And like, you're not going to impress him. You know what I mean? So I feel like it's like they they bust in with a bunch of swords and he's like, hi, <laughs> like, what, do you, what do you want? Like, 
<laughs> really? <clears throat> yeah. But to your point, Kyle, depending on what you're doing with like his character, like if you are role playing a uh, like he's in his mask or disguise of no, I'm just like a priest that works at this temple. Like you're going to mm-hmm. role play it that way. Right. But then all yeah. of a sudden you'll hear a different voice in your head and it's his real voice. Right. Mm-hmm. And like, if that, oh, that would be so neat. You're talking to the priest. You think he's like this really good guy that's like trying to help this town and this city because you keep hearing this other evil voice that's not the same voice, but it's him. It's the same person. That'd be neat. I do like the idea of him being very soft-spoken. Yeah. Originally, I was going to... Calmness. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Because, I mean, yeah, he loves corrupting the innocent. You can't come in all guns blazing, like, I'm going to feast on your soul kind of thing if you want to corrupt a good aligned creature. Yeah, because, like, it's even written in his stat block, he's good at persuasion, not uh, intimidation, right? Like, he'd be good at intimidation on a general role, but that's not one of his, like, base bonus stats. His base bonus stat comes from persuasion. So Mm -hmm. he's going to want to have the conversation because he wants you to make the decision. He but he's doesn't also care. Got, uh, yeah. He's also got DC 24 save for his charm person and his dominate person. Like yeah. he, he can convince you, but also if you're not listening, he's just going to fucking take over. Yeah. yeah. But like what, what gets his jollies off is the fact that you decided to do it. Yeah. That's the corruption that he wants to see. So that's why he's going to be soft-spoken. It's that convincing. Yeah. It's the persuasion. It's the getting behind your skin kind of conversation. Right. Yeah, I like the idea of him being happy too, but not like just always kind of got a smile on his face, you know, he's enjoying what's going on around him. I bet that he lives in the freaking moment. Like there's a certain chaos. I know that he's like a demon lord, right? Um, And he's chaotic evil. But there is just a chaos that comes to the, I mean, pardon the pun, the flighty nature of just like bird people anyway in D&D, right? Like they're all just a little bit more, um, they've got the wanderlust and the shorter lifespans. And so whenever I think of any sort of like creature that can fly, I do think of someone who's going to enjoy the moment for what it is. They're very, they're very much um, chaotic just as a base nature. So the idea that he is soft-spoken and he takes his time with stuff because it's not that it's it's not even like hey I don't need to rush it's like yeah let's see where this is going yeah so I hear you like pastries tell me about that right and it's that level of just like insidious look let me learn one of the little sidebars on the on the corner here is for a note from Minsk it says boo once heard words coming from a flask made of iron if I know anything it's that a flask is meant for drinking not talking I love the idea that while he is in the flask he can talk Hey, you're thirsty? Open the flask. Yeah. Yeah. Constant. <laughs> in your head because of the telepathy in whatever language you speak. Mm-hmm. I think that makes uh, their like pre-written kind of adventure that they have suggested about the iron flask even more enticing, right? Mm-hmm. Think about it having a whole campaign where this guy is just slowly whispering into your party's ears about all this stuff. Like, oh, you guys are in trouble? I can help you out. All you yeah. have to do is open it. Well, and that, like, the thing that it states is, like, yeah, he's inside this iron flask and it's been given to you and entrusted to you, but there's also going to be other demon lords looking for this flask. So it's got, like, a list of different other big, big bads that you may encounter for different reasons as to why they would want it, right? Yeah. So, and, like, you can also, like, one-shot it with, like, your group. Like, that would be a fun one-shot to play, is that, like, your goal is to take this flask to, like, the Mount Doom and throw it into fucking whatever and, like, destroy it. 
but at, on your way, you are going to be bombarded by like people. Like it's like the John Wick thing, the end of John Wick four or whatever it was, where they're all after John Wick because the, like the bounty was finally high enough to make it worth it. Yeah, like it's the same concept in my mind is that you're constantly fighting off these things to get your goal done. I also love the idea that he is trapped in this iron flask, but he also has got all the time in the world. and He's immortal. He was the first demon lord. Does he want out or is this just a really good way to get into people's heads? Is this something that he really likes? Oh, I'm back in the flask again. This works for me because I bring this up. He has dispel magic. Why not just dispel magic on the iron flask? I feel like it's going to be too strong. Like the iron flask has got to be. I actually don't know the history of the iron flask. I feel like I'm not curious. not reading it I, in my mind, knowing that it's an iron flask holding a demon. It's so that he cannot use a lot of his abilities when he's in there. Yeah. Yeah. It's like Definitely. being surrounded by a by a circle of salt when you're a demon. You can't exit it and you can't your spells don't go past the boundary. Right. In my mind, if I was a DM, that's how I would play it. Telekinesis. Sure. I would allow that just for the shits and giggles. But when it comes to using his actual spell slots, I don't think it would happen because in my mind, that's the same concept of like, well, then what about the layer actions and his environmental impacts like that piece too, right? So it gets yeah. too complicated if you allow one thing. Yeah, I would definitely just have the voice. I think that um, makes the most sense. It Page 178 of the DMG. Iron flask, wondrous item, legendary. This iron bottle has a brass stopper. You can use an action to speak the flask's command word, targeting a creature you can see within 60 feet. If they're native to a plane of existence other than the one you're on, they have to succeed on a wisdom saving throw and be trapped. If they've been trapped in the flask before, they have advantage on the saving throw. Once trapped, the creature remains in the flask until released. The flask can hold only one creature at a time. And then there's rules about letting them get out as well. Um... An identified spell reveals the creature inside of the flask. There we go. Those are the rules around it. Yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah. Incidentally, uh, it's, it's a D100 table. On a 1 to 50, it's empty. But then on a 51 all the way up to 100, there's bad shit in there. Number 66 is a type 6 demon. Yeah. Oh, all there right. you go. But that's like, I feel like if you if you picked it up randomly and you didn't really have a plan for it, you have a table, right? Yeah. 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 All right. Uh, moving on to environment. Uh, so for me, I mean, honestly, for all of these guys, I feel like it's kind of same. Their layer action or their regional effects pretty much cover how I expect most of it to be or um, how they get hinted at. But I mean, if if I was going to pick something else too, along with Pazuzu, I would say that the sky definitely gets clouded, you know, blocking out the sun. And it would be lit with like sickly yellows and greens. And I also like the idea of him leaving a feather behind anywhere he commits one of his crimes or one of his atrocities. <laughs> I like that because like... because he doesn't have feathers. So it's just a weird calling card. Yeah. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> oh, <why>. yeah. <laughs> but I mean, it does make reference to the fact that he likes to like corrupt angelic things. So I feel like it would be like a, an homage to I am better than angels. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> Well, I just think about like he's the, he's you know the god of evil flying creatures. So yep. I feel like he should have wings, at least one. Well, he has wings, so just bat wings. Yeah, yeah. But uh, but no, like like to your point, layer actions and regional effects will definitely dictate like what the area is going to look like. But again, I like the idea that some of the clues that he's in the area because you will come across towns that smell gross. You will come across towns that like are like the sun's blocked out and it's not really nice smelling, but like. Other things that you can utilize, again, is like the discourse that some of the people that live in the area have with you, 
So like the role-playing aspect with some of the people in the towns is probably not going to be very positive. Um, and the, or that one positive person you find is in hiding, right? So like those are could be the pieces that happen as well. Or like on your way to towns, you find that like there's been um, like travelers carts that have been abandoned and neglected for or like ransacked, like, and they've been there for years because no one's going to bother to clean it up because no one cares, right? Yeah. So it's just a bunch of neglect and rot and like, and that's not actually caused by him, but because of the neglect of the townspeople, right? Okay. So that's what I mean. But how does, sorry, how does that uh, kind of hint towards him specifically, right? Because that's what I kind of think of when we're talking about environmental factors about these, like what hints specifically to the person you're dealing with that maybe separates them from any other evil well that's kind of what does separate them from other you know because like you can walk up to any town of any evil and it's going to be dark and dreary right yeah so what separates them is the fact that the townsfolk are acting amok and then like you just find out like legend lore of a, a god that once visited and grant granted us great cops one year but it's been shit ever since right yeah. and then it kind of takes you down that path of conversation because I think at the end of the day, like people that took his boons will have worship him at some point. Yeah. So okay. it's not like you're not going to know who he is. Yeah. All right. So, yeah. Um. So my thing is you are going to run across um spider demons. That's like they're spider devils specifically, because uh, there's in the little sidebar about the iron flask again. Um, it talks about how uh, the Bebelith is in search of the flask. If you scroll later through this PDF, you get to the Bebelith, and it is a just horrifying monster that is in the shape of a spider. And it's fucking nightmare fuel. I would really hope that Megan gets to cover this at some point in the future. It is one of the nastiest looking spider monsters that we have. And it's a CR-12, huge fiend. Sorry, so it's, it is a demon. It's not a devil. Um, but it is trying to find the iron flask. So you are going to come across webs and smaller spiders and whatnot as you get closer and closer to Pazuzu, because I think the iron flask needs to be at least around him, it needs to be near him because it's a part of this story as well. So you are going to have to get past this CR-12 spider demon before you ever get to Pazuzu himself, right? And and then even killing the Bebelith is like, man, you're doing Pazuzu a favor now. Right. So I don't know. I think that that's that's how I would uh, that's how I would come after this. God, there's a lot of really good intertwining um, uh, lore and stuff in this PDF. Right. So it's like name dropping other characters and NPCs and stuff in it as well. Like they're all aware of each other. So, yeah, I, it, it even says the two arch devils, such as Belzebul and Mephistopheles, which are the next two that we're covering right are are pursuing the flask so we're all about the flask in this one mm-hmm. we're all together yeah. with the flask do you guys own a flask no mm, no i think i used to mm. which is weird as the alcohol in the par- alcoholic in the party like i don't have a flask <laughs> i do have a flask and it sits there collecting dust and it it reminds me to not carry a flask around there's a dent in it yeah. and i'm not going to tell the story without got the dent there's a reminder fair enough fair enough all right uh moving on to strategies so combat tactics allies in battle Favorite weapons, mounts. I mean, I think it's pretty obvious he won't have a mount. Uh, And I also think it's funny that in the character art, he's got like a big ass spear, but his weapon is a greatsword. Yeah. Allies in battle. There's definitely a lack of editing in this PDF. Like I love it, but there are some things that just do not make sense in it like that. 
or the fact that um, the last paragraph before Lair actions for Pazuzu starts off with the sentence, the first and most ancient demon lord. Yeah, as a sentence. That's the whole sentence. Yeah. There's nothing else to that sentence, <laughs> period. So like, yeah. the, this was rushed out the door, but the details in it are very cool. Anyway, continue. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, combat tactics, I mean, I think he is probably gonna run away if you have an iron flask. Other than that, he is gonna whisper to you and try to get you to kill each other. I think he would love to see people kill each other rather than having to do it himself. Yeah, I think the name of his game when he's going to attack, like fight you, because if you even if you look at his physical attacks, like his great sword and his talent, yes, his great sword gives him like haste, but like the average damage is thirteen and ten from his talons and his sword. So that's just fifth ed math being <laughs> shitty. Yeah, but like, but it's like always like that. Yeah, but I feel like that's not going to be his main go-to. His main go-to is going to be using his spells, which, again, are all about trickery. They're all about, like, causing, like, mass amounts of damage. Like, um, where was it? Not, where is it? Oh, we can use Plane Shift, which is pretty cool. Um, and got Insect Plague and Blight. That's the one I was looking for, Insect Plague. He can do Insect Plague just to fill the arena to be, a, like, a big problem. And then he's just going to try to infiltrate your brain minds and turn you guys on each other. That's going to be yeah. his goal. And then if he can't, breath weapon until you die and can't come back. Yeah. So, but yeah. Or like my big thing, I would love, I would love to go into battle with one of the, like him fighting a group of folks and you just disarm your, the great sword out of your bar- barbarian's hands or something like that. You like, don't need to, you don't need to do that. It's more devious than that shit. You land, Pazuzu's first turn, he lands, hits with the great sword and does a breath weapon. And then the, all of the legendary actions only cost one. So he can disarm the fighter and then use his lethal leap, which, you know, you attack once with the great sword and talents and then fly away without opportunity attacks. But it's the last one, disruption. He casts dispel magic. Yeah, he can disarm the barbarian, but why would he? He's going to make that a mundane axe. Yeah, because not magical weapons hurt him. So, yeah. like, it's just like wreaks havoc on all your items. Like, <laughs> yeah, then as, as a level 25 creature, you're fighting um, like level 18 plus adventures. Their items, their weapons are the best they can hope to get. And you're just going to, as a legendary, not even on your turn, you are going to just wave your hand and be like, no, nah, fuck it, not anymore. Because no yeah. save against it. It just yeah. fucking isn't. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yep. Okay. Uh, building on the idea of having this whole village that's been like tortured a generation ago as well. I like the idea is uh, you somehow get the party to recruit this village that has been so worn down to try to fight Pazuzu. You walk into the lair and Pazuzu whispers to every one of the townspeople going, if you kill these people, I'll undo all the harm I ever did to your village. So you can start at square one again. So then you have a party facing off against an entire village that are trying to fix their homeland, I guess. Yeah. All you have to do is say, I wish. To yeah. uncurse the babies, right? Uncurse like the bebe. You, you walk in. The, every kid under the age of ten looks like it's the village of the damned, right? Because they're all fucked up and evil and weird. It's children of the corn. I was gonna say children of the corn. Was right. Like, like flashed through my head just there. Yeah. And like, and the rest of the adults. Do you guys ever see the Twilight Zone movie? No. It's essentially three long skits, but one of them is um, the idea that there's this child who's just like a ten year old who can do whatever the fuck he wants. Because he has reality warping powers and he can make anything happen. And he has completely warped reality around him to be what he wants. And his parents and the neighbors live in abject fear of pissing this kid off. 
because he will just unmake them on a whim. Like, you know how mean 10 year olds are, right? Yeah. Uh, now, it's still people... like a, the book, The Regulators by Richard Bachman. Yeah. 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 It, it, that same kind of feel, right? That yeah. that one kid that was super evil. And then it was, it was his aunt looking after him and was just terrified and couldn't get away. Um, and you're the only other person I've ever met out in the wild. Kyle has read that book and I'm so very fucking happy right now. <laughs> Uh, um the uh one of my favorites i go back and reread that about every three years or so too um dude it was like pulse pounding it was a scary ass book and like it, it had it, didn't, it, it didn't it didn't let up like the moment those guns start firing at like chapter one yeah you, you do not get to breathe in that book anyway anyway that's the kind of shit that i think like these kids who would go to him and be like can i get another wish yeah and they're all fucking evil and he'd be like yeah okay what do you want? Anyway, yeah, there's 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 my storyline. There's my tactic. You got to go murder children on your way to this yeah. guy. I like how that's the theme, but I feel like we all went that way because kids are the easiest to corrupt. And the fact that, of course, he blesses them at birth, like bless quote. I'm doing air quotes for blessing, yeah. but like I, I feel like it, it just fits the bill that you're easier to corrupt when you're young. Also, you're the most stubborn that's that you true. ever will be when you're young, because have you ever tried to make a kid go to bed and they didn't want to? Like you do not win that fight. There's oh. no amount of bargaining or threatening that you can do. Or if they want a cupcake and you give them a muffin. Okay, oh, now you're being mean. evil. That is pure you're evil. A bully. Fuck I, you, Megan. God. I would. I would make a great parent. <laughs> <laughs> so who's going next? Adam is. <clears throat> so next up is Bale Zabul, who is well. I went down a rabbit hole. So. Let me talk about Beelzebul, or Beelzebul, or Beelzebub, or uh, Belzebuth, or Belzebuth, or Beelzebul. There are many, many, many pronunciations here, um, because there are many different translations and ancient texts back before there was standardization for things like spelling or pronunciations, especially from region to region. So this is actually a creature named after an old Philistine god from a region that is now a part of Israel. And uh, it's been wrapped up in the Abrahamic uh, religions in like as an important demon, but what those details are, are very suspect. So I'm going to paint the whole picture as I know it. And, you know, we'll see then how D&D kind of picked and chose, picked and chose, I guess. So he's mostly a part of the Christian theology, but he definitely crosses over with Judaism um, a couple of times. It, As far as I can tell, the Muslim faith doesn't really dig into Beelzebul that much because um, it's kind of the extra non-canonical Christian texts that really give them the flavor. But let me go through the history. It's the DLC of the Christian texts. Right. Yeah, exactly. Right. So um, he's one of the demons that represents one of the seven deadly sins. But he does flop back and forth between representing gluttony and envy. And of course, the seven deadly sins are really only based on Catholicism, but he shows up in all sorts of other texts as well. One thing that always remains true is that he has the title of the Lord of Flies. In the Dictionnaire Infernal, which is a real demonomicon that was published for the first time 205 years ago, he is shown to be a massive flying insect with a stinger and pinchers at his mouth. If we go back further than that to Holy Hebrew Scriptures, He's tied to a cult of flies and is tied to insects that feast and live on excrement and filth. And we're going to hit that note a lot here. Um, he's even said to be able to expel flies from his body 
and these flies are tied to disease and the illnesses of men. So they never call him outright as being the um, horseman of the apocalypse that's pestilence, but it's really kind of winked at as well. What's interesting is that the translation is not necessarily foolproof here. He's called Beelzebub, which means the Lord of Flies, but it might have actually been a derogatory pun because Beelzebul means Lord of the Heavenly Dwelling, implying that he uh, was the Lord of the Flyers. There are some depictions of a humanoid man with large leathery wings that actually might be the inspiration of our modern depictions of large, dark, muscled devils that are naked and winged and clearly evil, a lot like the art for Pazuzu is, right? Um, and Meg is just like, tell me more about these naked muscle men. Um, you're muted, but like we can see the look on your face. I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's just interesting, honestly, that the suffix, um, which is zabub, means dung, and zabul means lofty house. So anyway, he appears again in the Testament of Solomon, where he's called uh, Beelzebul, um, or sorry, Beelzebul, who's one of the princes of demons who claims to be a fallen angel associated with the star Hesperus. I don't know how many of you are up to date on your heavenly body lore, but Hesperus is actually Venus, which was known then as the evening star. Weirdly, this has created some confusion with whether or not Beelzebul is interchangeable with Lucifer, who's associated with the morning star. And according to Solomon, Beelzebul was responsible for warmongering, uh, tyrants, demon cults, lustful priests, and all of war and murder. So we've gone from pestilence now to, to the horseman war. He's name-dropped specifically in the Christian Bible a handful of times, most notably as a power source and leader of demons. In the New Testament, he's noted as the devil himself and the prince of demons. According to some Christian scholars, this idea of princeliness might actually come from another, less literal translation of his name, where all of this lofty house and heavenly dwelling talk might just be another mistranslation of the title High Lord. So he's just the High Lord of flies or flying. Now, back in the 1500s, a famous occultist named Johann Weyer began to tell tales of Beelzebub leading a successful revolution in hell and displacing the devil to become Lucifer's most trusted and powerful lieutenant because the devil was the biggest demon and Lucifer was an angel. The two were separated, according to this occultist. The idea of Satan, the devil, Lucifer, and Beelzebul all being interchangeable or the same entity or different powerful demons or fallen angels or parts of the unholy tri uh, trinity or sometimes just titles for whichever demon is sitting in that throne at that time. It's all very confusing. But the point is, for the most part, Beelzebul is a ruler of hell that schemes and plots, is tied to flies and insects, and keeps company with the likes of Leviathan, Lucifer, Astaroth, and other demonic celebrities, the big names. It isn't until we move away from the official scripture and into the popularized Christian lore like Paradise Lost where we finally see him take his place as the demon who represents pride, which is his most popular position among the seven deadly sins as we know him today. It's also in non-canonical texts where we see that he thrives in our imagination as a demon of filth, a common participant in demonic possession, and an influencer in those damned, dirty witches that were in Salem way back when. As a matter of fact, he was the demon that corrupted them all, according to the Christians. In D&D, &D, 
we take little bits and pieces of all of that and mash it all together and leave behind a bunch as well. Uh, Beelzebul, no longer Beelzebub, uh, is the arch devil of the seventh layer of the nine hells, which is called Maladomini. He used to be known as Triel, one of the strongest and most beautiful angels in Mount Celestia, and he was considered to be a perfect being. Except the pride that led to his journey toward perfection, and the even more pride that hit him when he achieved it, led to his downfall and he was cast out of Celestia. Asmodeus saw an opportunity and offered Triel a place among his ranks. Triel grasped at the chance to become powerful again, quickly rose to become an incredibly powerful and influential and very crafty archdevil. He's a master manipulator, and he quickly got the nickname Lord of Lies, for obvious reasons, but also Lord of Flies, and not necessarily because of the insects, but because of the intricate web of deceptions and traps that people will definitely get trapped in. So it's a metaphor. At one point, he became the only archdevil in history to rule over two levels of the Nine Hells at the same time. So he had Maladomini, um, but he also ruled over Malbolge uh, through his minion, Moloch. But two levels is never enough for the prideful Beelzebul, uh, and he actually made a play to dethrone Asmodeus and take over all of the Nine Hells. But nobody fools Big Daddy Asmos, so uh, Beelzebul was defeated and punished. Um, I'm, was... I'm really glad that dad, Daddy Asmodeus has now become a coined phrase. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, we're leaning into it. Yeah. And, and, and he gave out quite the spanking. There were four punishments. First of all, uh, Malbolge was taken away from Beelzebul. Second, he had his physical form forcibly altered to make him look like a huge-sized demonic slug with a face of a skull that has slug antenna growing out of the eye sockets and the corners of the mouth, four gray arms that look like the muscle is sloughing off the bones underneath the skin, and a massive slug body that is covered in boils and bubbles that look like the back of a gremlin that just got wet. There are no legs, and the forearms look barely strong enough to drag his roiling, bulbous, slow slug body behind him. That's only the second one. He was also cursed to remain in this form for one year for every lie he has ever told a devil. And that means that for the most part, he almost always tells devils the truth these days because he doesn't want to add to how long he's got to be in this disgusting form. And the final punishment is that his castle and his realm was literally turned into a massive pile of shit. This new form comes with a few weird benefits for him, though. Anyone that gets too close to him will be overpowered by the stench uh, to the point of vomiting, and he can vomit up gigantic swarms of flies. The upside is that he's easy to find because he always leaves a snail trail behind him. The downside is that you'll probably track him to the shit castle, where he has layer actions and regional effects. The layer actions are pretty nasty. The first one is he just casts hold monster innately. You just have to save against his hold monster. The second is that he emits slime in a five-foot radius, and anyone who fails their athletics check in that range um, is now grappled to be to uh, Beelzebul by the slime wads. So he just, like, hits you with mucus and schlorps you to him. Yeah. And the last thing is he can burrow up to 10 feet into the ground to get an AC bonus from cover. For his regional effects, within one mile, literal pieces of shit and rot appear as if growing out of thin air. And within this mile of garbage and feces, everything is difficult terrain. Within two miles, flies choke the air, and you need to make a DC 22 wisdom save at the end of each rest that you make to see if you even get the benefits of the rest. 
and we haven't touched the stat block yet. So, Baal is a huge devil. He's lawful evil. Uh, AC of 19, and he's got 40 D12 plus 280 hit points, which means you're going to be slugging it out for a while. Get it. Also, he's only got a speed of 20 feet and a burrow speed of 20 feet and a climb speed of 20 feet. So you will be running circles around him, but everything's going to be difficult terrain. And if you're within five feet, he's going to hit you with that slime, right? So I, I love that the slug theme translated. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It makes me happy. And and it, it keeps going. It's delicious. The stats are absolutely insane. They're all above a 24. Uh, except Dex, which is uh, 15, so only a plus two. Saving throws are in strength, con, intelligence, and charisma. They're all getting massive, like 15 or higher saves. Plus 17 in athletics, plus 24 in deception, plus 15 in insight, plus 16 in intimidation, plus 16 in persuasion. Despite the fact that this is a massive slug, the charisma of 26, which is a plus eight, and all of these social skills means that He's very charismatic and he's going to convince you to do things. He's resistant to acid, cold, bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing damage from non-magical attacks, but he's immune to fire and poison. He's also immune to being charmed, exhausted, frightened, or poisoned. He's got dark vision out to 120 feet, a tremor sense of 10 feet, and a passive perception of 17. Again, all languages, and telepathy out to 100 feet instead of 120, which Pazuzu had. We've got a CR of 26 here. because. God, he's got so much shit going on in this stat block. He sees right through magical darkness like he doesn't give a shit. Uh, he scores critical hits on 19s or 20s. He's got a plus 16 to hit with spell attacks and a spell save DC of 24 for animate dead, detect evil and good, detect magic, fireball, hallow spell, um, hold monster, suggestion, teleport, and true seeing all at will. Three times a day he can dispel evil and good and he can cast symbol but only the pain or insanity symbols. And again, once a day, wish. He's got legendary resistances, which means he can choose to save on ones that he has failed, um, saves against, uh, or anything really, uh, three times a day. He actually has a uh, feature called Lord of Flies, which says that insects do not attack him. And as a bonus action, he can command any number of them within 50 feet to take move or attack actions, which means there will be lots of bugs around him and you're going to have to fight through swarms. He's got advantage on saving throws against spells and other magical effects. His slam attacks are magical and he regenerates 20 hit points at the start of his turn, unless he's taken radiant damage. He only dies if his um, if he starts his turn with zero hit points uh, and is unable to regenerate. My favorite thing is he's got stench of the slug. So on top of that like bizarre slime wad shit that he does to grapple you, it makes it worse because any creature that starts its turn within 10 feet, which you would if you're grappled, you've got to make a 21 uh, DC 21 constitution save or be poisoned until the start of your next turn. On a successful saving throw, you're immune to the stench for one hour and poisoned is going to suck. You do not want disadvantage on your shit. When He also has undead mastery, which means when he casts um, animate dead, he can summon 10 additional zombies or skeletons as long as sufficient corpses are available. That's fucked. That's crazy. The fact that it's a straight 10 and not like a 1d10 or a 2d6 or something is wild. Yeah. Beelzebul also uses his fear and weakness gaze, um, which is the one attack, uh, if available, as part of his multi-attack. And then he makes two slam attacks. So for his actions, I'm going to start with a fear and weakness gaze. This recharges on a five and six. 
This triggers two effects on everyone within 50 feet of him. The first requires a DC 21 charisma save, or you're frightened as per the fear spell. The second requires another DC 21 charisma save, um, but this time if you fail, then you get the effects of Ray of Enfeeblement. Both effects last one minute. You don't get to continue to reroll saves on these. You just get hit with this for a minute. Then two slam attacks. The slam attacks each are plus 17 to hit. He's got 10 foot reach because he's huge size. And they do 1d10 plus 9 bludgeoning damage, which doesn't seem like a lot, but they're definitely going to hit for a constant like 14 damage twice. Um, Any creature that's hit by this has to make a con saving throw. Uh, Otherwise, they lose the use of their legs as they're stuck in the prone position or their arms, which makes them unable to cast spells or engage in attacks, and they lose the AC bonus from shields. Baelzebul decides whether he targets the arms or legs before making the attack. This withering effect lasts for one minute, but you can save against it. On top of that, he can teleport up to 120 feet as an action, or he can summon once a day 1d6 horn devils, 1d8 ice devils, or a pit fiend. And he still has legendary actions, which allows him to either teleport, or he can use two actions to do his insect gorge, which I talked about before, where he vomits up flies. This is a swarm of biting flies. Um, It's the same as the insect plague. It does 8d10 piercing damage, and it doesn't require concentration. So he's probably going to get this off every round. So that is Beelzebul. He is a gnarly motherfucker. So that. Also, there was a fly in my room, and I've never in my life had a fly in my room until today. You're welcome. Thank you for that. It's a sign. You know what? The gods don't lie. That's okay. Yeah. I had a creepy child in my room while you were talking, but, you know, they've left now. What? <laughs> was it Dave? <laughs> I was going to say something along those lines, but I knew what you were going for. So uh, I was like... <laughs> creepy child, not creepy man child. Yeah, so creepy, ch- creepy man child. Interesting. All right. All right. Uh, let's get on to some questions then. Let's roll. Let's, uh, roll off. 15. I got an eight. I got the ones... All right. So Megan, you're up first. Give us a storyline. All right. So as soon as I read Lord of Flies, I wanted to do a play on the Lord of the Flies, which for most folk have read this and weirdly enough, like elementary school to high school, which you're in my mind a little bit young for the themology, but that's fine. But the concept is a bunch of children stuck on an island murder each other for reasons. Uh, So here's my story plot line. I love the idea that there was an abandoned group of like previous heroes or what have you abandoned on an island can't get off. So one of them makes a deal with Beelzebul to be able to be like, okay, well, I'll, I'll join your call to tell like, I'll help spread the word, but I just, I need us off the island. And his way of getting them off the island is murdering them all, reaping their souls down and leaving their dead bodies. But now there's like an avatar of Beelzebub that can raise the dead. And so now on this island, there's a small group of undead children that your group has gone to to try and find i don't know the macguffin but it it's turns not out a good episode for kids hey no, no. <laughs> it really isn't but i mean this could be a regular like adult adventurers too this doesn't have to be kids like because lord of the flies yes was about children but this could just be like a group of adventurers got stuck here um and then there, you've come across now this group of like 10 to 12 undead adults that are following around this one person who is now like a, an avatar or something of Beelzebul. And you find out all these things. And that's kind of where your 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 plot hook starts 
is on this island with this undead crew. So, but it's just all that inspired by Lord of the Flies. Yeah. All right. <laughs> also, the island is probably covered in poop and really gross. Yeah, that's what lot, lot, there's lots of feces in this one. So much poop. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I guess I was next, right? Um, my big thing here is I'm going to make you hunt him down in his lair. I don't think he's going far. He doesn't have the ability to plane shift or anything else. So his, he has made plays and uh, in the past for power and dominance and like reaching out beyond his means. And he just got smacked down. He has been a slug. It says fairly recently he got turned into this, but that's, that needs to be, be said with a little bit of perspective here. These are immortal creatures, and he has been a slug since 3.5, which means it's been at least a few hundred years. So he's told a lot of lies to a lot of devils, um, and I think you need to go find him because you need to get him to tell the truth. He knows something that you need to know, and so go capture a devil and take the devil to him and make him tell the devil the truth, right? And so that's going to be my big storyline, my plot hook. But you have got to go through this shit, and he's not going to talk to you willingly. Yeah. So, Or at least never he, tell you the truth willingly. He's going to lie to you, but he's not going to lie to the devil, right? Yeah. And so he's going to, like, you've got to go through combat with him, but I think maybe only down to half of his life before he says, fine, what do you want? Yeah. Because yeah. CR 26, even for, like, a level 18 or 19 party, I just with the that double attack um gaze that recharges a third of the time all of the insects he's regenerating he can teleport up to 120 feet right so like and, and he's got all of these spells and stuff he's you're gonna have trouble knocking this guy down especially your marshals who can't get into melee combat with him or they're gonna really suffer so yeah yeah or they're gonna get like that one pop off where they get in and they get off like a hundred points worth of damage and he's like okay what do you want mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah yeah it'd be tough to even get to him though because with all the insect swarms and then you can just summon what 11 zombies at any given point we all know and, someone's gonna find a way like and a pit fiend <laughs> and a pit fiend you're going yeah. to hit him and he is going to summon a pit fiend and then teleport the fuck away. Yeah. No, your wizard's going to use their dimension door to pull the barbarian through, land it right on top of him, and then he's going to get one attack off, and then he's going to be like, okay, what do you want? <laughs> also, I'm going to flavor this so that those giant, like, the boils on his back actually pop, and that's where the flies come from. I don't want him to throw them up. I want him to, like, burst the egg sacs on his back manifesting the egg sacs yeah absolutely that's gross i like the idea of you can see this thing slowly moving down his like slug body it's just like a ball underneath his skin that works its way up from the stomach and then slowly up through the chest and then up through the mouth oh and you can you could also like you can really hit that theme beforehand because you walk into the chamber like the throne room in this castle made of shit and you can see the ceiling has this giant like bulge in it and that bulge starts to move as he's burrowing through the feces ceiling and then down the side because he has burrow and climb speed and then he like busts out of the wall in a shower of excrement and the top half of him becomes visible. And what do you want? Gross. Like the grossest Kool-Aid man ever. <laughs> hey. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> Kyle, did you have a plot line? <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, so I like the Lord of Lies thing. Uh, so I was thinking, you know, I would have a city where there's a magistrate, like a lawyer who is constantly overlooked for promotions, you know, and he doesn't know what to do. And he gets approached by this, maybe uh, someone who works for Bales about and they're like, oh, you know, I know how to get you prestige. We'll help you out. You just got to help us out. You have to make sure to punish the wicked, right? And so Beelzebub starts supplying him with evidence for all these crimes that have gone unsolved for so long. The only problem is all the evidence is doctored and everybody that they are convicting is innocent. And they've also blackmailed the judge to ensure that every single guilty verdict ends in a death sentence, regardless lines, of the crime. This lines right up with the real world lore that like, this is a demon that was tied to the witch trials of Salem, right? Like, if the demon was there, it wasn't the witchcraft. It was the, hey, hey, you see those girls over there? Yeah, they're evil. Get them. Yeah. See them doing math over there? We got to put a stop to that. <laughs> okay. you, don't, you, don't, you don't fix his math? Fire. <laughs> we don't need to unpack that today. <laughs> How dare us women have knowledge, you know? <laughs> is that what girl math is? Is just your witchcraft? Is that is that... Did I figure that out now, Megan? Uh, in the fact that it's confusing to men, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to touch that one. Moving on. <laughs> uh, Megan, do you have any hints for role-playing? Okay, so if I was going to be to role-play actual Beelzebub, like I would do it in one of two ways. Um, and you guys can agree or disagree or pick one that you like better. One, play on the fact that he is now basically a slug lord and talks super slow because he doesn't okay, give a shit. Yeah. He has all the time in the world, doesn't give a shit. Two, play on the Lord of the Flies where he's a little bit like buggy, a little bit quick and second guessing everything that he's saying because he's afraid he's telling a lie. So say that again? like saying everything and second guessing himself. So kind of like a little bit buggy, like a fly, like kind of like, like twitchy. And then sometimes yeah. he'll say a sentence and be like, wait, no, correct. That was true. Like he'll like double check it every once in a while. And it won't be like every sentence, but he'll say something to give you information. And it'll be like, wait, no, that is true. Mm, Just to kind of like, like it, cause you won't really know as players, the whole history of Beelzebub, unless you are like a D and D master. So it's just yeah. like a little role-playing hint of who you're dealing with for those that who do know who he is, where he just kind of says, wait, nope, that's correct. And sometimes maybe you say, wait a minute, that might've been a lie, but he can't tell. Because <laughs> like he's, he's got doing... so many lies going on. He like doesn't know what is true. And he's like trying to keep track of them all because there's just millions of them. Doing it for years. And don't get me wrong. Technically, he doesn't really care if he's lying to like a, the peasant. He doesn't really care. But because he's been doing it for so long, and he's been like tracking what's a lie and what's not a lie. It's almost like he's lost his path at one point because he's gone a little bit crazy being in slug form for so long and doesn't want to be there anymore. So he's just kind of like going slowly driving himself crazy. Or he'll just be like, again, the slower paced slug. I know everything. Don't care about you. Like, I've got all the time in the world. Who gives a shit? You know, I'm still powerful. <laughs> one or the other is how I would play it, depending on my group and what I feel like they would find is fun. I I love the idea of him being very slow and methodical. I'm leaning into the slug, right? Like instead of the twitchy fly, I'm going to lean into the, like the slow and methodical slug. Um, and I'm going to just make really wet noises with my mouth the whole time. Ew. And while while he's speaking, oh yeah, I um, don't need to demonstrate. By the way, <laughs> no. Um, and uh, 
And I, I want him to speak only in questions because you can't tell the truth or lie with a question. So you know that improv game of only questions where you're not allowed to like say a sentence? I'd be practicing that shit like as a DM beforehand. And I would be like, okay, how can I get through this? And I would I would have prompts written down that would, wouldn't you think or um, doesn't it make sense that so that you can give information, but you're forming it like a question. Right. And then your players can determine what they want to determine from it. Right. And so you're not going to get a straight fucking answer out of this guy. He's just going to be be riddles. And sometimes he like the only phrase he'll say is, I'm not going to answer that. And yeah. just stonewall. This has got to be Megan. Have you been in the room when I've played one of my like thoroughly frustrating cryptic characters? I know I did it a bunch in the previous campaign with Jess and Jamie, but have you seen any of them? There's been a few in my no. lifetime. Yeah. I had I a spec can... I had a spectator named the Guardian who spoke so slowly that Jamie lost his shit. He couldn't fucking <laughs> handle it anymore. And it was so good. I and like <laughs> this is kind of this is how Balesable will he's a master manipulator. He's going to just slowly manipulate this shit away. The other thing that I really want to do for role playing, this is the one that possesses people. It's in the fucking lore, right? Like it's in the Christian lore and it's it's part of what devils can do anyways. They can possess people. I'm going to possess townsfolk and there's going to be a person that's going to just straight up lie to people, vomit up flies and like sneeze out literal wet globs of human feces as when they're possessed, all like exorcist style. I'm totally going to just give little bits and pieces of the, the ability to climb and burrow, um, seeing in the dark and shit and i'm gonna just give all of this to just like a a priest that has been possessed i think that that's that's going to be a fun role-playing opportunity when was the last time your players had to perform an exorcism never i think i've only ever run that once and i would love to do it again i'm curious how you played an exorcism because i mean there's no real rules for it there are rules about possession um, and in previous editions, there were rules about exorcisms and about um, casting out um, possessing spirits and whatnot. So you would have to kind of homebrew your own rules. You would use clearly different iconography and chanting than you would, you know, the basic exorcist method. That's good mm -hmm. guidelines, but change a lot of the details. Um, and uh, remember that if you cast a devil out, the devil then becomes manifest. So if I decide if there's a horned devil that is inside this eight-year-old child and we manage to do a ritual, it's a series of tasks that you got to go find this and get that and figure out the proper words and figure out the name of the devil themselves and so on and so forth. You go through it all. Then you do a skill challenge. You spend a couple of sessions preparing for the whole thing. The skill challenge is the exorcism. And then the horned devil magically appears beside the child and you now have to fucking fight it what because i was possessed once in our campaign but we did do an exorcism i you were possessed by a ghost yeah. and the ghost was only interested in you because you were conscious dan blew your leg off and yeah. you went unconscious and the ghost was like well fuck this yeah okay bye <laughs> yeah. You're giving me something to think about. Well, uh, for me, yeah. Oh, sorry. No, no, no. Go ahead. Uh, for me, for the role playing, I mean, I would definitely roll my S's all the time, just kind of like play into the slug thing too, as well. Yeah. I, guess. I would also find a sound effect 
for buzzing flies. And I would have that playing for the players just to kind of like throw them off. So I find it like, yeah, but like a swarm. So more like someone's recording a beehive kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So it's just like loud and it's coming from everywhere. That'd be just, really good too if you're playing online. So everybody's got their headphones on. Yeah. I would hate it. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. That's exactly what I'm going for. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I I also would kind of use the beauty part, um, his the vanity, right? I would probably ask the party, like, do you like the way I look? And then just have him <laughs> get like furious no matter how they answer. <laughs> Does this do it for you, big guy? Yeah, yeah. because either you're lying to him or like just to be nice to him or you're telling him the truth and both are going to piss him off. (laughs) Well, there you go. That's your plot hook is you send him to go find the most beautiful angel in the world, Triel. Uh Uh-oh, it's an arch devil. It's different. (laughs) Oopsie poopsies. Literally. Uh, How about impact for the environment? Speaking of oopsie poopsie. Uh... No, that's a that's a goopsie poopsie. Goopsie poopsie. Uh, no, I feel like this one is pretty self-explanatory in the sense that like you're you're walking either through a shit kingdom, or you're walking through a place that just like does not care to clean. Period. Right. Mm-hmm. So even if you're in a town where there's like some worshippers of like their houses will have this food strewn about, like garbage hasn't been picked up in months. Like there's just a li- certain level of laziness and shall I dare say sluggishness. To those that are like wandering around the town, right? Um, just because they you have see people littering everywhere. No sense of urgency to be clean. Nothing because they just know that that's 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 the aesthetic, right? Every night at ten o'clock p.m. exactly, everyone takes the bedpan that has been filled during the day, and they go to make an offering by pouring it into the pile. That's- <laughs> just like one big shit pile in the middle yeah. of the city. <laughs> oh, it's gross. <laughs> And it's like their main tourist attraction. Yeah, the largest shit pile. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, honestly, if you're going into his lair, if you're going down um, to actually see him in his in his castle, uh, it's pretty straightforward. Bugs and shit and garbage and rot. Well, one of the things that I would like to do is I think that if you were to get him to possess someone or you were to get an aspect of him up in the material plane, you're going to find a whole bunch of statues and murals and paintings and tapestries and coins, maybe, or scrolls with depictions of how he used to look when he was Triel. Okay, interesting. Yeah. And he hoards this stuff because that's the pride. Yeah. Now, it's all caked with shit. It's all rotten and fallen apart. But there's clearly, and like your party wouldn't necessarily know it either. There's this weird like hero worship for this same angel over and over and over again. Until, oopsie poopsies, you figured out that <laughs> that you, you've got your fucking slug, you know, arch devil that's just sitting there going, I was beautiful once. Once. Anyways, what about you, Kel? Uh, For me, uh, I mean, I think the regional effects cover it pretty well. But I, if you was going to have kind of an effect on a town, I like the idea of, you know, the town might look really beautiful on any of the main thoroughfares, but as soon as you go down like an alley, then it is covered in shit. There's a lot of flies. There's a lot of garbage. Anywhere it's just off the main pass, it's just like filled. And it gives this very sort of two-tiered kind of vibe, right? Like something's clearly off, but nobody seems to be paying attention to it. Like it, 
they all just think it's kind of normal. Yeah, what? like I, like Mary the Tweety. I'm thinking of like Monica from Friends who has like the trash closet. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. there's a, there's a certain areas of people's homes. Like because like to your point of the fact that there was once worshipped like this beautiful angel, but their inherent nature is to feed the actual demon from below. So again, it's a beautiful city, but at every night at ten o'clock, they dump their bedpans in the same spot. Or every household yeah. has like one room that you don't go into because it's where you put all of your trash. So there's this like, oh, oh, and like everything smells like, what was the, um, I'm trying to think of like when the plague happened, what did they put under their noses to make it so that you couldn't smell the trash and like the decaying bodies? Opery? No, they, they, it's, it's, um. Is it red, just red roses? That no, they no, no, it's, but it's pocket full of posies. Pocket full of posies. That's what I'm thinking of. Oh, so okay. like, I was trying to remember the nursery rhyme in my head and I'm like, yeah, anyways. So like, it, it, I imagine that is that a city's like walking around and all of them have flowers on their person, but like, there's this a weird like stench happening. Oh, I like that. I like that a lot. Uh, all right. Um, moving on to strategies. Um, combat tactics. Yeah, I mean, without, like, all of his other, like, spells and stuff aside, there's one spell that I kind of honed in onto that I thought that was really cool, especially because, like, he's kind of a slug, is the symbol. Like, he can do, uh, what was it, he can cast symbol, but he can only do pain or insanity. So, for anyone who knows what symbol is, basically it is that you just, like, draw a harmful glyph, and then if you walk into it, it's like a 10-foot diameter, um, you get a certain, like, pop-off from it. And pain is basically that each target must make a constitution saving throw or become incapacitated with excruciating pain for one minute. So I'm imagining that, like, if you piss him off or, like, for some reason you walk into, like, a place, like, I, I'm thinking, like, slug trails, drawing little symbols everywhere, like, yeah, on the floor. Like, he covers his tracks with the pain symbol kind of thing? Yeah. Well, he has pain. He also has insanity, which I thought was really cool, which is basically, like, it's an intelligence save throw um on a failed save the target is driven insane for one minute and what that means is the insane creature can't take actions it can't understand uh, what other creatures say can't read can't speak and only like speaks gibberish so and the dm then controls your erratic movement so i just thought this was really cool that like if you ended up like in the lair like aside from all the other stuff before you actually get to be eligible it's a really cool like signal that you might be dealing with something a little bit more sinister right yeah i like that yeah adam for strategies for combat tactics he's there to fuck you up right like it's it's there in the insanity symbols which is definitely a major part of it it's there in the fear and weakness gaze that he has as well he doesn't fight his own battles he summons swarms he summons other devils right and Mm -hmm. he can teleport away so he animates dead he i mean casts fireball but like there's not a whole lot of other major offensive tactics that he has here he's going to rely on his charisma to get him out of things which is why he's got shit like um uh suggestion and hold monster right so i uh i don't see him as being the main combatant you got to go through a handful of waves of minions first yeah i would agree oh sorry go sorry and one last thing is just because he can summon one pit fiend once per day does not mean that he does not have four pit fiends with him already Right, like he will have summoned them in the past to literally wait on him because he is an arch devil. Yeah, yeah, I I totally agree. Uh, he's gonna leave if possible. I think he would rather take a party down through cat's paws than do it himself. Right, although I think he would like to watch. You know, like he'd find a good spot so he can see you die. He reminds me a lot of the fucking slurm queen from um from Futurama. Futurama? Yeah. Just with that big, nasty, bulbous body dragging behind, right? 
Yeah. Yeah. Great reference. Great reference. <laughs> Probably don't want to drink his. His slurm leavings. No. no, you would not be slurm McCool. Well, well, I was hungry before this episode. Problem solved. All right. Uh, we're going to move on to me uh, to end it all. So Mephistopheles. Mephistopheles. Oh, okay. It's going to be a long one if I already got the name <laughs> wrong. So Mephistopheles is based on the character of Mr. Mistopheles from the 1981 classic Andrew Lloyd Webber musical Cats. No, it's not. <laughs> Clearly, yes. Uh, Release the butthole version. Yeah, That's what I we all want. All I'm saying is that he Mephistopheles first appeared in 1983. So, I mean, the timing kind of lines up. Huh. No, I'm just kidding. He's actually Stop based it. on <laughs> he's actually based on a popular character originating from German folklore, uh, who first appeared in the late 16th century in stories relating to Faust, a character based on a historical alchemist named Johann Gregor Faust. The essence of the story is that Faust is a well-renowned scholar who nonetheless feels dissatisfied with his own limitations, causing him to become depressed and eventually leading him to try to take his own life. After the failed attempt, however, he makes a deal with the demon Mephistopheles, who works as an agent of Lucifer, uh, where in exchange for power and knowledge for a set number of years, uh, the devil gets to claim his soul. Uh, now, there are multiple iterations of the story and interpretations. Sometimes it's Faust who seeks out the arrangement, while in others it's Mephistopheles who's coming to Faust, or sometimes even having uh, Mephistopheles trying to talk Faust out of taking the deal. Uh, the name Mephistopheles is a corrupted Greek compound. Uh, the Greek participle for negation is the first part. Uh, there's also the Greek word for love. And uh, the middle term is has three possible connotations. One is for not loving light, another for not loving Faust, or allied to mephitic, which is a term that designates poisonous vapors arising from the earth in certain places like pools caverns or springs that is also destructive to human life uh in the art mephistopheles looks like your quintessential fallen angel tall slender and opposing with dark skin glowing yellow eyes curved horns bat wings and like a little smirk he kind of dresses like a monk almost in long flowing and tattered robes where instead of religious symbols he has fresh skulls say less <laughs> yeah. You have a type, Megan. I might. <laughs> uh, so he is the ruler of Kenya, the eighth of the ninth level of hells, which is basically just a frozen wasteland. He's the second most powerful archdevil next to Asmodeus himself, a fact that consumes him and fills him with furious envy. A master, a master tactician, strategist, and he is also perhaps the greatest wizard among all the archdevils, having tapped into the essence of hell itself to create hellfire, his greatest power. That, unless suppressed, also wreathes his body, causing any who dare to touch him to be charbroiled into ash. He spends his time between violent rages and obliterating, obliterating underlings who annoy him by developing new magics and plotting ways to overthrow Asmodeus. That sounded close... like, sorry, that sounded like an introduction to like the Price is Right. <laughs> <laughs> he spends Meph his time. <laughs> Mephistopheles, actually... come on down. down. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually hoping uh, for it to sound like a dating profile. 
It, I was gonna say DNA <laughs> profile at first until you got into like the the almost like the 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 voice, and I was just like, that's delightful. Yeah. <laughs> it's only gonna be a dating profile if he's sitting there, like obviously fishing or driving a pickup truck. Yeah, yes. showing off whatever like fucking fish he caught the other day. <laughs> Anyways, go on. Well, apparently his picture works for you, Megan. So, I mean. Okay, have you seen it? Have you yeah, it's, it? it's pretty badass. Like, I'd sit a lesser throne for that. Like, <laughs> You can What's tell with impressive? how he's like, like man spreading too. Like, he's got something going on there. Yeah. I yeah, mean, man, really, I it. what's more impressive? A pickup truck or a fucking throne? Throne. It's always the throne. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Get uh, back so to he it. Can, <laughs> yeah. Trying. Uh so he came the closest to overthrowing Asmodeus when he allied with Despater, Memon, and Garion to steal power from Beelzebul, Zeriel, Bel- Belial, and Moloch, hoping that it would give him an edge. Unfortunately, he was betrayed by Garion, who had secretly been working with Asmodeus the whole time. Despite his machinations, however, he saw the least amount of punishments of all the archdevils involved. He was neither cursed nor cast down, leading many to believe that there is a deeper connection between Asmodeus and Mephistopheles, who are almost as ancient as each other. Uh, though what their connection might be or what power or influence Mephistopheles might have over Asmodeus is anybody's guess. It's On a the surface, they, they brought back Mountain once every 66 years. Oh, babe, I can't stay mad at you. <laughs> I would not. Meffy, come back to bed. Yeah. <laughs> so is he? Is he? Is he little daddy Meffy? Then is we got big daddy Asmo. Oh, yeah, I, I mean, so. if it's those two, yeah, I would. But like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it it wasn't a, it wasn't a revolution. It was a lover's spat. Yeah. No, there you go. <laughs> Uh, so on the surface, Mephistopheles is a courteous, charming, and maybe even a little funny. Though that is really a facade of the deranged egomaniac whose hair-trigger temper flares hotter than a thousand suns. And if that didn't make him dangerous enough, he also has unparalleled knowledge and understanding of all hell's political workings, allowing him to basically predict the potential pros and cons of any alliance or scheme. So for Stablock, he is a large, lawful, evil fiend, boasting an AC of 21, an average HP of 460, 40 feet walking speed, and 100 feet of climb. His stats all sit above 22, uh, with his highest being intelligence at 30, and the next one being wisdom at 28. For saving throws, he gets massive bonuses to intelligence, wisdom, and charisma. Skills, he gets plus 24 at least to deception, insight, and persuasion. So good luck being able to tell if he's telling the truth or lying. Uh, He also has damage resistances to acid, cold, bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing from non-magical weapons that aren't silvered. Uh, Damage immunities to fire and poison, although I really think cold should be added to the list considering that he is the Lord of Kenya, which is like negative 60 at any given time. And it's like warmest regions. So nah, man, thwarted by a cold breeze. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, He has conditional immunities to being charmed, exhausted, frightened, and poisoned. Uh, Dark senses, he gets dark vision of 120 feet, passive perception of 19, language is all, telepathy of 100 feet. I love that he's a CR 27 too. Like the higher 
or I guess the lower down you go in the levels of hell, the like the arch devils just get one more level, like as far as uh, how dangerous they become. Yeah, it's their pecking order. It's their ordaining. Yeah, pretty much. But they keep trying to just like unpeck themselves. Yeah, unnecessary. Sure. <laughs> no respect. I'm okay with that. <laughs> uh, so for abilities. Yeah, it's Devil Sight, which means magical darkness doesn't impede his vision. Uh, flames of Hell, so he is covered in dark flames. And at the start of his turn, any creature within five feet of him takes 2d6 fire damage. Okay, uh, oh. if he desires. I'm sorry, this romance novel is writing itself. Jesus <laughs> Christ, Megan, calm down. <laughs> the only thing hotter than Hellfire is the fires of his desire. Writing itself. Okay, go on. <laughs> Uh, so he has flyby, which means he doesn't pr- uh, provoke attack of opportunities if he flies out of someone's reach. Uh, Hellfire mastery, so his fire damage ignores any sort of resistance or immunity, um, and he never hurts himself with his own stuff. Uh, he has two kinds of spell casting. He gets it both innate and regular spell casting. Uh, his innate has a DC of 24 with a plus 16 to hit. Uh, and he has a whole load of spells. I'm not going to go through all of them because it's a lot, but I think the one I really like is Gius with a duration of a year. Like, that one's really interesting to me. And Meteor Swarm, which is just fun. Uh, I guess all devils also have Wish because that's how their deals work. It's kind of a question. I, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, you could flavor it that way. I don't know if it's built that way on purpose, but like, I feel like any, if you're, you're that high level of a demon, like you're going to have something that can grant a boon, like at the drop of a hat, just mechanically to make that easier for you as a DM. Right. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. Uh, three legendary resistances, three legendary resistances a day. Uh, also has magical resistance. So advantage on saving throws against spells. Uh, all his attacks count as magical. Regeneration, just like uh, Belzebul. Uh, so he's regaining 20 hit points unless he takes radiant damage. And oh, a lot of that stuff is just pretty standard fucking yeah. high level fiend shit, right? Yeah. Uh, then the spell casting. Uh, once again, I'm not going to go into it because there's a lot of them. But I like that he has eye bite. I feel like I don't see a lot of that. Eye bite's good, but I don't think it's the scariest thing on his list. The scariest thing in his list is scrying. With an intelligence of 30 and his ability to just do whatever the fuck he wants, I don't want him knowing everything about me. That is going to be the first thing that I need to like negate if I'm going to fight him is is his uh, his ability to scry and to know where I am. How else is he going to love bomb me and then convince me to join him in his... <laughs> we're going to sit down and talk about spicy book talk <laughs> megan because it's warping your expectations it really is in my everyday life it's a problem <laughs> I, I want i want everyone listening to know that i have the privilege to be in a chat with just the ladies of it's a mimic and it is fucking wild in there <laughs> i have learned shit and spicy book talk is not even like the top 50 percent of the weird shit that you guys are all independently on board with. It is bizarre. <laughs> well, someone says something, which I'm like, wow, that's a weird fucking hot take. And everyone else is like, yeah, totally. That's Don't. dope. Yeah. yeah every, everybody, everybody does that. I'm like, what, what was... fucking window into the female brain am I seeing right now? <laughs> it is magical. It is wonderful. It is terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome you to the world. You pierce the veil. <laughs> Use your knowledge sparingly, please. <laughs> <laughs> Unpierce it. Unpierce it. 
so for actions, uh, he gets a multi-attack where he uses his Hellfire Lash ability, if available. It is another one of those recharges kind of thing, where he makes a 60-foot long Lash of Hellfire that ignites a 5-foot radius area. So... Five foot squares all around where he hits. And any target in the area of effect must make a DC 22 deck save or take 5d8 fire damage. And the spell is damages halved on a successful saving throw. That seems really low considering the other abilities. That He's we never going to use this. He has way too many badass spells. Mm, true. Uh, so he also gets the rant and then he makes two attacks with his rancer, which I learned is a type of spear that's almost like a trident, where it's got two little prongs that come out around the hilt of the blade. Uh, that is 10-foot reach with 2d10 plus 9 piercing damage, um, and a successful hit also does an additional 68 fire or cold damage, which I think is kind of fun. So he can either use his hellfire ability or summon or channel Kanya. Uh, Ash and teleport which is just teleporting up to 120 feet away. Um, and then he can also summon 1d4 ice devils per day. I need to point out, for Megan's sake, that there's a little bit more to this because there's implied nudity in that Ashen teleport. Mephistopheles' body and any equipment he is wearing or carrying turns to ash, and he magically teleports up to 120 feet to an unoccupied space, but it doesn't say anything else about the shit he's wearing or carrying. I was going to point that out. <laughs> Again, it's writing itself. I don't know yeah. what. what uh, <laughs> in awe. <laughs> in the icy landscape of hell, only he can keep you warm. Yeah. Oh, my God. Why was that so perfect? <laughs> You've been in the girls' chat for too long. You need. <laughs> this is a cry for help. I'm telling you now. <laughs> nah. <laughs> I'm perfectly sane. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard a sane person say that. Well, you did today. <laughs> okay. Okay, sure. Murder. What murder? <laughs> uh, legendary actions. So he gets Hellfire Storm, which costs two actions. Uh, he can select an area up to 160 feet away and creates a Hellfire Explosion in a 20-foot radius. Anyone in that area that fails a DC-22 deck save takes 7d10 fire damage and uh, half as much on a success. He gets Hellfire Wings, which means he just sets up a burst of fire uh, by flapping his wings. Uh, and every creature within 10 feet of him uh, has to make uh, another DC 22 deck save or take 3d6 bludgeoning damage and be knocked prone. They also have to make a 20 DC 22 constitution saving throw or take 3d6 fire damage. And finally, he also gets teleport. Uh, for layer actions, uh, he gets uh, he can cast any spell from his wizard list, and if it normally requires concentration, it lasts for its full duration instead, which is kind of cool. Uh, he also covers a five-foot area in Hellfire. Any creature that starts their turn there uh, suffers 68 fire damage, and the Hellfire remains until Mephistopheles dismisses it or uses the ability again. Regional effects, he makes Flaming Winds scour the area within two miles of his lair, and any creature that is vulnerable to fire suffers one level of exhaustion for every hour spent this close to the lair, which is crazy and adds up very fast. 
within two miles, every 60 feet of movement results in a flame geyser just erupting from the ground. Yeah, when the geyser appears, the creature that triggered it has to make a DC 22 deck save again or take 3d6 fire damage. And the damage is halved on a successful saving throw. Uh, the, that geyser also just remains for a day. Just by the way, fuck. Which I think is interesting. I The regional effects still kind of get me because, I mean, yeah, hell, but I feel like you should be channeling his layer a little bit you know it's it's the coldest level of hell why are we bursting up fire all over the place but i think it makes a certain amount of sense because in uh tome of foes we got a little bit of information on all of these guys as well and the big thing that it says in there is that he spends all of his time you touched on it earlier but like it's the main point they drive home in tome of foes he spends all of his time doing magical experimentations he's into experimenting you might say but that means that you're going to have different elemental damages and whatnot clashing together he's going to be you'll notice that he can innately cast a bunch of spells but it's the stuff he's learned that is more potent the dc is higher and the spell attacks um have a better uh to hit right they got a better modifier so it is interesting that he is clearly putting all of his energy into learning and perfecting spells and magic and so that's why i think that like his picture is that of like fire and brimstone almost but if you if you think about it like this would be the only hot place in a landscape of glacial ice and he's summoning ice devils and you really need to kind of slam those two hot and cold together yeah i agree yeah because i mean his thing is hellfire which is essentially he is it's different from any fire and he's the only person that can really do it and he has basically channeled whatever makes hell hell and turned it manifest into something that he can control so i kind of see the fire angle but i do i would like to see a little more cold in it i would i feel like it would give more well more well-rounded kind of presence i yes i agree although i do like the idea that he is not where he wants to be right Mm -hmm. he he is the second most powerful the second smartest um and potentially the most magical of all of the arch devils even over asmodeus and he he's kept as close to asmodeus as possible and given all sorts of free reign and a long leash asmodeus you know he's got spies watching all the time if he gave mephistopheles the level of hell where he would be comfortable, where he could set up shop and really do damage, he might be more of a threat. Yeah, interesting. I like that take. All right, uh, let's move on to some questions. Let's roll some dice. 15. 12. 14. We're going last with a 12? Jesus, all right. Life is hard. Life is hard. Mm-hmm. Mega. Not as hard as those rocking abs of Mephistopheles. Oh my God. <laughs> Hey, man, I'm going full enemies to lovers with this one. You have no idea. (laughs) So (laughs) there has to be a love story in this one for me. There just has to be. Because, like, he is, like, driven for power. That's his one thing. Like, he's he's second to everything. He wants to be number one. Cool. Power is his vice. But there's a reason why he hasn't, like, gone above and beyond to do it. He's joined, like, powers with others combined to take over other people, but he's never really done the stepping stone to take over Asmodeus uh, in its entirety. And there's a reason for that. And I feel like there's going to be, like, an awesome, like, love story in the fact that he's like, I'm not going to take over your spot because, like, I am in love with your daughter or I am in love with your descendant. So I have to stay one below you to be able to one day take your hand. Like, I can't piss off your dad. 
And there's this weird underlining storyline for that. <laughs> As Modius does have a daughter, her name is Glacia, and she rules like the sixth level of hell. Yeah. So like that could very likely be a thing. You know what? We're making it a thing today. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We're bringing in the enemies to lovers. <laughs> But like she oh, yeah. wants to be second in command, wants to take over for her dad. And he's just kind of sitting there like, I can't become number one because if I become number one, she will kill me. So I feel like at the end, it would be this beautiful love story. And the fact that like maybe she does climb her way to number one after like and takes over for her father's reign. And then he ends up with this weird like hate and love for her. Like I'm going to take over this like. I still want to be number one and you still don't love me. Cool. I'm going to kill you now. And then there's this whole war between the two of them that you have now like just randomly come across. And they resolve it that night. Because there was only the one bed in the hotel making. room. <laughs> yeah. he, he pulled out candles to do his dark rituals, but they happen to be the perfect scented candles that reminds her of the day. 400 centuries ago when they were walking through the meadows hand in hand perfect you know this makes me think of like a bizarro christmas romantic movie it yeah it has to be a christmas movie for sure like we're we're looking at like have it like we're looking at ice like literally fire versus ice almost is what we're looking at right now it's gonna be a christmas special (laughs) (laughs) only she has the flames to melt his heart (laughs) get out all right Uh, I should write trashy novels. You really should. You would make a killing. I will. (laughs) You have the insight now. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, I'm going full love story with this one. So whatever you guys want to do after that, that's yours. (laughs) Well, now I feel like we got a theme going. So uh, I like the idea that it's uh, the reason he doesn't want to take over is because he just loves the cat and mouse game too much you know mm-hmm. that's that's their whole thing that's how they flirt it is the will they won't they will they murder each other will they get together in the end i love and a good will he, they won't they yeah like yeah <laughs> he just you know mephistopheles doesn't know any other way to flirt and so that becomes this power struggle you know there's just this raw sexual chemistry I love that we have digressed from like these super strong evil deities from like the like the other levels of hell. We get to one of the lowest levels and we're just talking about a soft boy <laughs> wanting the love of his life. <laughs> and your party's goal is to be the messenger, right? To teach him, to teach Mephistopheles how to love, you know? To oh break my down God. that barrier. Two of the party people in your party are in love and he sees that and he's like, hold on, I won't kill you if you teach me how to court this, <laughs> this yeah. person. It's a beauty and the beast situation. <laughs> or you know that you know that trope where uh, like two people are speaking and then there's the third hiding in the bush, giving yeah. hints to that person. So the party's just like in a bush behind him. Say you like his eyes. With fucking casting, fucking sending. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> get this, get this fucking head. Jesus. <laughs> Whoever picked up this podcast, be like, yeah, I want to build this badass story around Mephistopheles. And we're just like, ah, yes, high romance. <laughs> yeah. Fr- from cats and release the butthole edition to here we are now. <laughs> Fuck, this has gone off the rails. To bring it back a little bit, assuming that he well. is not. <laughs> assuming that he is not just looking for love in all the wrong places 
I am assuming that he so he teamed up with uh Dispater, Mammon, and Garion, but Garion was a spy. I think the only reason why he would have teamed up with them and then be spared is if he really actually likes being the second in command. And they told him, we're going to plow through you. We've got this plan. It's going to take you out unless you join us. And if you join us, you can still do your experiments. You can still fuck around with magic. You can still, we'll give you a better place to live, but like the perks will be better, but you can still do your own thing because one of the things that I've learned getting older is I don't want to own the company. I just want to live comfortably in the upper management side of it. I don't want to I don't want to be responsible for people's paychecks, right? I'm not interested in that. I've worked at enough small companies and small businesses in my life to see how stressed the owners are. But like the second and third in command, those guys are living the good life. They have the big paychecks are driving the cool cars and they get to leave work at work because they don't care about the ultimate like profit margins for the shareholders right so and i think that that might be mephistopheles like if he is truly mad scientist and what you were saying before is like he is straight up insane scientist if he wants that then he might just be um fuck i distracted myself he's making a love potion in his laboratory so <laughs> yeah let it flow it couldn't help you. It. You just, <laughs> it couldn't help i couldn't escape <laughs> <laughs> but the uh like that might be the thing why he puts up with it why maybe he wants to to live in this this cold environment is so that nobody fucking comes to bother him here so that he can do what he wants it's this big open wild landscape where he can do all sorts of crazy experimentation and blow up a mountainside without it affecting the armies of of the nine hells right so maybe he like his whole big thing is the is as Modi's turned him and said, "Hey, like I, I'm good. I'm gonna knock the other guys down a peg, and you're gonna go with them." And he's like, "But my experiments. I'm, I'm like, I'm I'm in it for the experimentation, right? Everyone loves a man that was willing to experiment a little bit, and so this is like I think that that's kind of his perspective on why he was able to keep his place, right, as the second in command, um, yeah. is just because he's too he's too it's focused. Important. He's yeah, he, he's he's just lasered in on this this one thing that he wants to do. And it might be something like he wants to unravel the weave or he wants to replace Mistra. Or like he could have very different goals than Asmodeus, but it serves Asmodeus's purposes to have Mephistopheles kind of in your back pocket being like, oh, hey, I couldn't figure out how to undo the weave, but I made a new kind of spell that turns people inside out by accident. Do you want this? <laughs> right? And then... As one says, yes, please, and takes that and moves on. So, so when I was doing research for the, the Mephistopheles, one thing I noticed is that he all all the things that I read, it very clearly leaves his desires blank. Besides the fact that he studies magic and that he is incredibly envious of Asmodeus and hates being number two. Also, just as a fun aside, is one of the reasons he loves Kenya is he likes to crush people to death between glaciers very slowly so he can watch them die over a period of years. Like watching those pimple popping videos in slow motion. Yeah, kind of. Mm. And then just watching them like freeze and... There are some unique like uh, punishments that have been given out in the Nine Hells too. Like I think it's uh, Levistus uh, was is punished. He's frozen inside a 
ice cube and like a like an iceberg and he's not like he's not able to move but his influence is still out in the world and he's got to do what like other people tell him and he's but he's like frozen forever cannot get out and uh i feel like mephistopheles might have been the person to be like oh hey you know what i can do you know what we figured out we can do we trap people in icebergs motherfucker yeah like i think that he might just be you, you know how like like hitler was the big main boss bad guy but Joseph Mangala was the fucking monster behind the scenes, just doing weird shit for the sake of it. I feel like that might be this relationship. Yeah, okay. I can get behind that explanation. All right, let's move on to social. This should be fun. Megan, take us okay. away. <laughs> I'm thinking like sexy, low tone voice, you know, like <laughs> swift of foot, strong hand, you know, like whole nine yards. <laughs> but can he swing an axe? Doesn't eat to you, man. <laughs> Not his vibe. No. Does he have that like uh that sexy hey talking? Real oh yeah, he's slow. like he's like certainly like gothic edge lord is what I'm imagining yeah. if you're talking to this guy. But like oh, in all, go ahead. Fuck, that's exactly it. When when an experiment doesn't go well, he returns to his organ room. Yeah. And he plays like a big angry organ like Davy Jones style as he mulls it over in his head because oh, yeah. music is math. The math is magic. I'm now imagining like the boss battle in uh, Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time where like Ganon is playing the organ in the room upstairs and the whole process that you're going through this castle, you hear this organ music. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then like when you go to the like the room, you disrupt him. <laughs> Tell us <laughs> more about Mephistopheles' organ. Hey, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Could so, go on. <laughs> so at, at the beginning of this episode, I asked, what would it take for you to sign up to a to a demonic cult this is it hey like this guy yeah <laughs> yeah as i said i'd sit on a lesser a lesser throne for him like <laughs> i <laughs> i have my own cult until he arrives and then i'd be like hey <laughs> yep <laughs> the answer is yes uh but no for real when it comes to like i don't think you would ever see him i just mm. I feel like he's the kind of guy that, like, again, is holed up in, like, whatever experiment room he's in. You're going to hear him telepathically. You're going to see, like, his his little creatures running around. They're going to deal with you. Like, but you're not going to make it to him. Like, his, his whole goal is, like, I don't really need to interact with you. The only reason, and if you do get to him and he speaks to you, it's because he thinks that he can use you as in his experiments. Like, so he let you get to him to have a conversation with him. Otherwise, like the whole area is just strewn with bones and like being picked off by creatures and things like that. Like it's a very dark and dreary, but I don't think there's any reason why he would ever have a conversation with you unless he thought you were useful. All right. I, I totally agree with you. I don't think you would ever see him. And I don't think he would really be good for any sort of party interactions just because I don't know, based on his lore, he is incredibly mercurial, right? Like he will go into a homicidal rage at the drop of a hat. So, I mean, I don't know what your guys' experience is with adversarial conversations in D&D, but 95% of the time it just devolves into a fight. Yeah. And it, it doesn't even have to be adversarial. The shopkeeper just won't give you the discount. Yeah. So now, now you've burned down his entire house and killed his children. 
Yeah, yeah. 100%. I, I'm sure he would just be furious if a mortal managed to make it into his house. How dare you sully my room? Right? Yeah. So, yeah, I, I agree with Megan. If, if, he, if you meet him, it's because he wants you to. Mm-hmm. I get the impression that if your party was to go to find him, you'd have to go through a number of his little labs with a bunch of his minions first, and you'd be fucking up his plans. And mm-hmm. he would be so laser focused on whatever the big thing is he's working on that you know, the report from the lesser devils is they run in like, oh, sir, the the heroes, those mortals have come in and they've they've taken out this. He's like, bother me with something important. Don't bother we, me with the fact that lab number 317 is shut down for two weeks. Repopulate it, get new devils in there and fuck off and go back to what he was doing until your guys showed up. I have had the misfortune of my life to know some sociopaths, some real fucking terrible people who are normal at face value and then when you can peek behind the mask when they show who they really are the rage is so intense that they have been interrupted from the plans from the schemes from the things they were doing the way they manipulate people the way that they almost look at people as if they are something to get they're they're a means to an end and i think mephistopheles is very much that all of the experimentation all of the um research and the figuring things out he doesn't care how he gets there and that's what makes him so goddamn evil but he is laser focused and he wants it and if you interrupt if you get in the way of it if you derail his train of thought he is just going to murder and flay and burn the fact that he is literally like creating an ashen version of himself as he teleports away is just like he burns the air around him as he goes yeah he is the only one that has hellfire mastery where his um fire damage surpasses the fire resistance and immunity right it just ignores it because he is so full of that level of hellish rage i'm gonna play him as being full rant full rant the entire combat along with his legendary actions he's gonna monologue and that monologue is going to be in the tone and pitch of how fucking dare you come into my home, right? And it's all going to be about him and his ego because he is the only one smart enough to know. He is the only one that can do these things. And you interrupt him. He has plans. Have you met my boss, motherfucker? Right? Like, it is going to be a bad time fighting him. And I think that he this is one of the few times I'm going to tell the players ahead of time. I will telegraph this um, through world building. You do not get to live if you go in to fight Mephistopheles. He's going to murder. There might be a TPK. You may not yeah. win this fight because he can do so much shit. And he will. He will go for the kill every time. He's ending yeah. this shit now. And you're going to know his rage. Also, yeah. the Gold Glacier thing feels like a fucking psychopathic eight-year-old who's hiding out in the basement, like pulling wings off of flies and torturing mice and shit like magnifying glass burning ants <laughs> yeah the, like there's a little bit of the like i wanted to see what would happen if they didn't have legs anymore and as much as that's like weird and shit on a grasshopper he's doing it to the neighborhood cats now like it mephistopheles is pretty fucked up and mm-hmm. i'm getting those kind of underpinning like the, those vibes as well so on the one hand spicy story of lovers on I the can other save hand him. <laughs> oh, oh no megan oh no megan <laughs> i just triggered 35 percent of the internet <laughs> oh, fuck, did you ever 
Oh man. <laughs> no. I have a question with the role playing, Megan. Does the love story end in a tragedy? Always. Okay. There's no such thing as a happy love story. That's depressing. That's dark as fuck, Megan. Think about yeah. it and think about it deeply. No, that's not true. I, I don't... Is it, yeah. There's still that saying like it's better to have loved and lost than never to have lost at all or never loved at all. But does that make it less tragic? I mean, what is love without loss, happiness without sadness? Yeah. If you don't know, if you don't have one, you can't have the other or you can't appreciate the other. Right. Think about the the old couple that are like in their late 80s or whatnot and they're laying in bed and the fucking um, carbon dioxide leak in the house takes them both out at once and they never know or feel any pain. That's a happy ending of a love story. They what never a, went or, What a great visage. <laughs> I'm feeling happier already. <laughs> I was more thinking of the ones where like people are together for their whole lives and then one of them dies and then the other one dies within a week because of just like a broken heart or they couldn't be without the other one. And that's not tragic to you? <laughs> no. I mean, everybody okay. dies, right? You can't escape it. Fair enough. But, like, but like as far as death is to go tragic, out on your own terms. Yeah, death is a death is what gives us meaning. If you live forever and could do anything, would you bother to? Hell yeah. I could do anything I want. This so episode, many things. <laughs> this episode has done too much. Let's move on to the next thing. <laughs> All right. Environmental impact. What's it going to be like around him? Cold. Cold with some fire. Cold. cold <laughs> the coldest fire you've ever seen. <laughs> uh, no, I just feel like it's going to be a lot of, to Adam's point earlier, the fact that there's a bunch of rooms that have, that are just experiment rooms. Like, you're going to see some gaudy shit. Like, if you want to bring body horror up in a campaign, walk through his lair. You know what I mean? So, like... Look, Asmodeus took the most beautiful, perfect angel of all time and turned him into a horrific fucking slug creature that lives in a castle of shit. Who do you think did that? I think he has a great sense of humor. (laughs) Man, the irony on that is just... Like poetic justice. I think that Asmodeus is the one sitting back and going, yeah, we're going to make him fucking ugly as possible. Lord of Flies, huh? Yeah, yeah, we'll make him belch up flies then. Fuck this guy. Mephistopheles, can you make me something where we got to like turn a guy into a slug and belch up flies? Yeah, I can do that. Give me a minute. Yeah, I can do that. Yeah, I did that like last week. I got got a thing. I did it last week. I can, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I got a guy for that. Yeah. I got a guy. I don't know. I feel like you just Mephistopheles doesn't have or isn't gonna go for that level of subtlety. He's gonna there's gonna be like a string of people that have been blood eagled like around a room or laid alive, just cruel for the sake of being cruel. I think that there's very much that level of psychopathy here, and yeah, and I think that Asmodeus is the creative one, but Mephist- uh, Mephistopheles is the one that's gonna get that shit done. So yeah. As much you guys are absolutely bang on with like the body horror, but I want to add to it the fact that he's got a realm full of ice, which means that every time that he does something fucking horrifying, he can freeze it and put it up on display. You know, like those those little fetuses in jars that are in like the basement of the weird, creepy fucking like mad scientist shit. Like this guy has it, but it's all of his weird experimentations on display in the fucking glacier. When you walk through Kenya and you like kick over the little snow drift and you see the ice under your feet, there will be twisted features of of beings that have been pulled apart at the seams and put back together wrong that are on display for him to come back and mull over and go, 
Oh, yes, right. This is how we do that. Okay. If I pull apart the finger bones here and I can elongate them, we can make claws. Right. Okay. And like just weird shit. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I can definitely see that. Uh, I feel like that didn't answer the environmental question. Well, the, the, the trophies, uh, the, oh, yeah. uh, the experiments, yeah. the, the jars full of fetuses, then the, the mummified hand in a box sitting on the shelf amongst the books, right. That yeah. he's going to go over and look at and go, Oh yes. Right. This was the first time that I was able to turn a person inside out and keep them alive with all their nerve endings firing for six weeks. Amazing. All right. well, that's a fun mental image. Uh, you guys got any strategies? I mean, at the end of the day, he's going to use his spells. He's not going to use a lot of anything else. Like he's obsessed with what he's learned and he's obsessed with, you know, like I, I know all these spells, I can do all of these things. So he's going to use his, his scorching ray to burn the shit out of you. He's going to use disintegrate. He is going to use uh like fireball chain lightning he's gonna use all of these to cause you pain but i feel like he's gonna like try and keep you alive and just alive enough to use you as an experimentation so you're gonna find that you're as you're i feel like what he'd do is he'd tick away at your health to a point of like where you're almost useless and then he'll move on to the next person he'll leave you alive he's not gonna kill you outright uh, so eventually you're going to have a lot of party members that are just like super low health or have like are like knocked prone or can't move or like these things so that he can capture you afterwards because he's going to use you. So but to the point of like earlier where we talked about how like he's going to do it quick and he's going to do it fast. He doesn't have the time for this. So it's going to be nope, I'm going to trap you. I'm going to burn you until you can't move anymore. And I'm going to put you in a room and I'm going to hide you until I can use you. So you might end up imprisoned in his hell before you're actually killed. So you yeah. might get a second chance to escape is what I'm saying. But yeah, yeah, that's too kind for me. I think he would try to murder you and murder you quick. Cause I think if you are, I mean, for me personally, I would never have him on the material plane. Cause he just doesn't seem like the kind of guy that's going to go there. Not, yeah. I he agree. doesn't even have like cultists really. Like it's, he, he is, hell is where he likes to spend his time. He'll and use a different demon's henchmen to bring him people. Like <laughs> he'll, yeah. he'll strike a deal. Like <laughs> there you go. But he, yeah, he's just gonna kill you. He's gonna, he's not gonna pussyfoot around with it. It's gonna kill you, and he's gonna kill you quick. He's gonna throw his strongest spells at you right away. And just because I think he'd be so furious at the whole idea of you even being there that he's not gonna have the mental acuity to think far enough ahead to capture you and torture you further. Or you have that one spell cast for the group that pops off a random spell he doesn't know. Oh. It, it could be more mundane than that too it could just be like he sees the air coker and goes i've been needing someone with wings good okay you all keep alive the rest of you can fucking die right yeah. but like it can it he should take weird interest in one of them for sure right yeah this could be like a capture and rescue kind of thing where he captures the wizard but like the rest of your group is like left to be murdered by henchmen but your goal is to get your wizard back so my big tactic here is that he's got flames of hell, hellfire mastery. He can cast fireball, uh, delayed blast fireball, um, scorching ray. He also has um, a firewall as well, but he's got like a lot of these cold spells like ray of frost and uh, wall of ice. Um, but then we have the hellfire lash. We've got the hellfire storm, the hellfire wings, and the fact that all of this burns brighter, and we put him in a realm of ice. 
He's not going to want to fight you in his lab. He's going to go out and hit you out in the elements. And every time that he casts a spell, it is going to then burn through the fucking glacier you're walking on. And and with giant like open caverns beneath this sheet of ice. So your battlefield will very quickly start melting away under your feet. And I think that he is going to use the ice spells and the ability that he can, because he can choose. The Rancer does fire or cold damage. He is very much in charge of this shit, right? Yeah. So he is going to use the ice to stop everything. This cone of cold is is whatever. He's going to, to stop the melting to freeze you in place to be able to, to capture that one person. Everyone else can drop to their doom, right? He doesn't just have to blow you up and and hit your hit points. He just has to take the ground away from you. And he's got a bunch of shit that can do that anyway. For example, he's got uh, Banishment, right? So um, between that and Force Cage and um, Whirlwind and like he's separating the party. He's going to divide and conquer. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, So before we wrap up this episode, let's cut to our last ad break. If you've been inspired by the conversation in this episode, please feel free to reach out and share your creativity and ideals with us and the rest of the community. You can reach us on Facebook and Instagram or on our subreddit, r slash it's a mimic, where we keep a place for you to ask mailbag questions as well as our episode guide. Also, if you're feeling particularly generous, please follow and subscribe and leave us positive reviews, likes, and comments. Engagements like that help us pop up on search engines and keep this show running. All right. So final thoughts on these three. Fuck, Mary, kill. <laughs> Adam's like, I hate you. <laughs> but you're thinking about it. I can see. Yeah, yeah no, I mean, I'm waiting. All right, let's let's uh, let's roll initiative. Let's roll. Okay. <laughs> I got a three. Twelve. Ten. Megan. Um, amazing. I would kill Beelzebul. Uh, I would marry Pazuzu and I would fuck Mephistopheles. Mm, interesting yeah i want i want the experimentation but i don't want to live with the crazy i'll go live with pazuzu (laughs) he'll take you on the best vacation right Right. portals to a thousand and one door like a thousand and one places we can go anywhere in the world man yeah yeah i agree yep you know nobody Mm. wants beelzebul (laughs) how can i make this work okay so first of all First of all, I think Mephistopheles is, is clearly he's got to be either kill or fuck. You don't want to get like attached to that shit. No, yeah, that's that's okay, a lot that's, of baggage. That's... <laughs> but the crazy lay is the best. Uh, who is going to enforce that restraining order? Because you know there's one in the future with that guy. Mm-hmm. Um, or he's though, just he's just fucking to make Asmodeus jealous. Beelzebul, <laughs> though, remember, is going to become the single most attractive creature in the world. Because this sentence is over. I forgot about that. So that might be a fixer-upper situation. The so long you think, game. <laughs> yeah, you think, like, marry, but we're going to be engaged for a few hundred years first till this this whole sluggishness thing goes away. Do you want to live in a king, like a castle of shit, though, for a couple centuries? Even for a hot person I later? Mean, I feel like, like the payout think... might be worth it. I feel like the payout eventually. Especially if you're an immortal, payout might be yeah. worth it. Yeah. Is that... Is that what we are in this scenario? We're immo- immortal as well? Oh, we would have to be if you're going to fuck Mistopheles. Are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah. You can't be mortal and put that inside you. Are you kidding? <laughs> I don't know. It burns with the past. All right, never mind. Um, the, <laughs> the, no, but like Pazuzu, it, 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 Pazuzu I'm, I'm afraid of Pazuzu because 
first of all, he's been around forever. And yeah, he can grant any wish, but so can the other guys, right? And that's kind of his whole shtick. But he's also going to make any offspring you have evil. I'm right? okay with like, that. Yeah, but you are oh, going to you're you going to have an evil baby. Like we're marrying into hell. Like, how is that the greatest evil? No, but I, I think Beelzebul, it like he's too if you self- have a if you have a kid in hell, that kid is gonna become evil. Not necessarily. I mean, there's different kinds of evil okay. in this Strong world. Strong chance, then. Pazuzu, though, I mean, first of all, with that beak. There are certain options in the bedroom that are not uh, available to you, and that might be a deal breaker for some people. Also, the talons. Mm, I'm I'm feeling kill Pazuzu and actually, yeah, and kill Mephistopheles. Fuck, there's no good answer here, is there? Okay, so I have a counter argument to that: is Pazuzu can take the form of an angel. Yeah. So you're not stuck with a bird all the time. You can take many different forms. So it's like you're marrying several people. Yep. Hmm. You got options. Mary Pazuzu. <laughs> and and with many different forms too. That I mean, that's like marrying Mystique, right? Like there's yeah. options there. Okay. All right. So Mary Pazuzu. I still think that you're gonna want to have a uh maybe not Beelzebul for fuck either, though, even like in the good version, because he's so self-centered. Yeah. Right. That is guy, even when he is the most beautiful like perfect creature in the world it was all about him is that's a selfish lover that's not yeah, he's just gonna starfish you don't want it yeah all right okay i'm i'm Li- literally soft <laughs> 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 even sluggish should you say <laughs> mephistopheles is gonna is every time he walks into the bed he's gonna be like all right we're gonna try something we've never tried before <laughs> And I'd be like, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> I stand by my answer. <laughs> yeah, that's probably the right answer. Okay. You're welcome for that. You're welcome, Internet. <laughs> well, that's all for the first half of our discussion on Fiendish Overlords in D&D 5th Edition. Make sure that you subscribe or follow and check back regularly to see what inspirations in- and insights we'll have for you in the future. Thank you for listening to another episode of the It's a Mimic podcast. If you'd like to support us, we have a donate button on our website, www.itsamimic.com, a store with some It's a Mimic merch, and a Patreon. This episode and others can also be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and most other podcast apps. Thanks again for listening to It's a Mimic, where you never know what you're going to get. This has been an It's a Mimic production. Please check the show notes for this episode to see links, time codes, and credits. And don't forget to reach out and share your own inspirations. I love the idea that the only way to get Megan to join the cult is with like, all right, how often and what is the schedule of the blood orgies? Because because <laughs> we're we're gonna need a, a a certain frequency of them. Like every other Thursday is not gonna cut it. <laughs> I need a more filled schedule. <laughs> like I <laughs> and I need oh. people to vet the participants because come on now. There needs to be a hiring process for sure. Like I would vet that there would be an HR service that I would have to actually have in place before I would be allowed into your your cult. That's that's pimps. That's pimps if it's a blood orgy. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> the pimps of the blood orgy. I can hire pimps of a blood orgy. <laughs> I feel like the lesser members also have to act as like valets for the blood orgy. That's why they're lesser members. Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
I get it. The lesser members. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is going to turn onto a terrible thing on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> Who was it, next? Was that me or you, Kyle? I, I honestly can't remember. I don't remember either. Well, God roll knows off. we're not going to go back and check the uh, the audio. So, oh no, no, wait, that was a different roll. Yeah, let's yeah. roll off, Kyle. Roll off. Yeah, I'm going to get a drink. I got a nine. I got an eighteen. All right, so that that's me. Yeah, Just gonna wait the best on for last. I get it. <laughs> gonna wait. Uh, on I'm going to go wash her. Well, sure. Geez. Came back and everybody's gone. This is very sad. <sighs> it just wasn't worth being here without you, Megan. I was like, I came back and everybody was gone. And I was like, what did I do? <laughs> I actually heard you because I had my headphones in the whole time. Oh. <laughs> You're just listening to me cry to myself. Yeah. <laughs> Where did everybody go? <laughs> Where did everybody go? <laughs> I was just joking about evil. I swear. I'm a good person. <laughs> it's just joking. <laughs> So I just saw him like peek his head into the doorway and then was walked away. <laughs> oh, sweet summer child. Adam's gonna go next. Who does Adam have? Uh, Beelzebub. Beelzebub. I have no idea how to pronounce that correctly. Beelzebub. I say Beelzebub, but there's no B at the end, so it's not correct. <laughs> Beelzebub. Yeah, I automatically think Beelzebub as well. Yeah, I think Beelzebub, right. but it's not. It's different. It's too It's too close. Yeah. Eyes to buy the bills about. Eyes to buy the Beelzebub. <laughs> Is that your pirate shanty? I mean, it could be. Have you never heard that song? I feel like it's very Canadian. Eyes to buy the bills. Sounds familiar. Sales are eyes to buy the catches the fish and brings it home to Liza. Like, is that no, Adam? Yeah, no, it brings a bell. <laughs> Where? Where from? I, I walked away to get a coffee and you guys started singing like Newfie shanties. What the fuck is happening? Over Have you here? never heard that song before? Am I really alone in that? Oh, no, 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 no. That is a that, like I absolutely did. That was a scouting thing when I was a kid. My Maybe parents were also that. my parents were also born on the East Coast of Canada. So like within a hundred miles of where they unironically sang that song for real. So like, yeah, that was a part of my childhood. All right. As a matter of fact, one of the last times I ever saw my dad drunk, he sang that song, but he only knew the first like two lines of it. That's what a drunk person does. (laughs) So good. All right. What's next, fam? All right. Who's who's the next uh, who's the next arch fiend here? Are we covering Megan next? Uh, can we do an episode so. on can we do an episode on like a Megan build of like <laughs> holy shit that's what we should do is we should make everybody we'll just draw names out of a hat and everybody has to make a stat block a stat block for that person for the other as... for, for a person they drop but you also have to draw names out to find out what um challenge rating they are right so that you would end up with like like Terry would end up being a level one mm-hmm. right you got to come up with like a level one villager for Terry CR one but then yeah fucking james ends up with a cr23 like that would be that'd be a load of fun <laughs> oh man i feel like no i feel like the audience has to like list us and then give each one of us a different cr and then we draw names from a hat <laughs> oh oh shit you know what you know what we'll open that up to the patrons yeah <laughs> <laughs> we're building a campaign bitches <laughs> Oh, All right, 
Kyle, I think you're muted. No, he's just unplugged something, so he doesn't have to talk to us anymore, is what he yeah. did. You can see the internalized panic of the, oh my God, am I muted? I'm supposed to be running this meeting. <laughs> still nothing, Kyle. <laughs> this is my favorite panic look for most people in meetings at work. <laughs> Man, your sound's not coming back. You can clearly hear us. So I'm, yeah. just, I'm just gonna kill this recording. We'll kill it. All right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, he's enraged. <laughs> Bye, Kyle. It was nice Bye. to take your soul. <laughs> Have a good one. Bye, guys. Well, that's it. Fly my little dragons. Have a fantastic day.